I was doing it live on Twitch, yeah. What, what kind of numbers were you hitting for the <laughs> Look, to be fair, like for me to hit like 15 is fantastic. I had 15 people watching me do this. 15 Amazing. people with literally nothing better to do with their time than watch you bastardize some giraffes. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Let's play for football. <laughs> yes. Tom, do you want to sort of, do you want to give us an opener today? Yeah, go on. Hang on. <laughs> what? <laughs> What sort of introductory sting would you like, Ben? Well, I, to be honest, I, like I said on the chat, I've not really prepared anything. I think just for now, gridironextra.com being a, a UK-based NFL news and blog site, you know, something along those lines with weekly power rankings, NFL 2021 draft information. Yeah, something along those lines. I should have prepared it, shouldn't I? <laughs> That's, I mean, I did mean just you personally. I'm going to give you like a boxing-style intro. Okay, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll save the professionalism for now for later. Yeah, now come Tom's on. in the chat. Is, yeah, come on. Let's let's be real here. Like as soon as I joined, chaotic energy started to reign, so you know. <laughs> Fighting out of Leicestershire, England. He weighs in it somewhere between one hundred and five hundred pounds. He is a Seahawks fan and owner of Gridiron Extra. Ben Matthews. Well, thank you for that introduction, Tom. That's much appreciated. Um, <laughs> I don't really know where I can go from there, in all honesty. I think you've bigged me up a little bit too much. Right. Quite. Who can follow that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're a man whose reputation precedes you. <laughs> oh, well, no, it's an absolute pleasure and honour, I should say, to be here. So thanks for having me, guys. Fantastic. Not a problem well, at all. The pleasure, the pleasure is all ours. It is um, indeed, yes. How are you doing on this fine day, Ben? Uh, very well. Um, I've got a deserved day off. So i um, just been kind of catching up with last night, get last night's games um, and just, you know, just chilling out, really. I've been looking forward to this afternoon, in all honesty. Superb. I mean, who, who wouldn't, really? Exactly. Exactly. Hello, and welcome to Stiff Upper Lip, the NFL podcast by Brits, with me, Ed Wilkins. Me, Emma Hebron. Me, Sam Wand. Me, Tom Chapel. Excellent. Lovely. Shall we start with some fucking games, ladies and gentlemen? Let's get straight um, onto it, yeah. Let's get in. So, I, I don't know if you've listened to the pod yet, Ben. Um, basically, in these sort of week review ones, we just sort of run through the games in order and then usually go on about 14 tangents about beans and helmet-to-helmet contacts. And sort of, after about three hours, we all call it a day, go home, and then someone edits it for 19 hours. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the schedule. That sounds that sounds good to me, and I I did actually listen to the one uh, with the week four previews, and I uh, certainly heard some slightly questionable predictions. So I'm looking forward to hearing some. Just- <laughs> <laughs> well, the most questionable prediction uh, is our first game, Lions Saints, where me, Sam, and Ed all joined the Motor City and forgot that the Motor City was a complete shithole. <laughs> Yeah, we all rode the Matt Stafford hype train to one too many stations, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, it was just one of those games, wasn't it? Again, it's it's becoming with every with every moment that Drew Brees is on the field, you can see him getting worse like before your eyes. <laughs> it's like 
steady regression, but like over the course of four hours as opposed to over the course of an entire season. It's like yeah. by the time that he's thrown ten passes, his arms just like in the mud. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the winning QB as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let me play devil's advocate for one second. One second, just because I heard I can't remember who it was on the uh, on the pad podcast previously you were talking about Drew Brees' arm being completely done I'm going to counter that and say he's not done yet I mean we saw some vintage Breeze. you know after the early pick like it was 9 of 12 I think downfield for 174 yards and a touchdown you know that's that's not bad going my only problem with looking at Drew Brees' stat line in, in any regard is half of those are screen passes where Alvin Kamara does all of the work so <laughs> like in the game against uh, it was the they played the Packers didn't they and that's where Alvin Kamara busted off like a 50-yard run. That all went down on Drew Brees' stats as like completion and a 50-yard touchdown. Like That's where the stats don't show uh, Drew Brees' regression, but they should. Those 174 yards and a touchdown, though, those those 9 of 12 were all on more than 10 air yard passes, though. Wow. So coming in here with more stats. I know, yeah. Tom. You need, I respect it big uh, time. You need uh, to brush up on your notes, Tom. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree, though. I agree. There is an element of regression. Of course, there is. Um, and I mean, Kamara still is going to continue to be the focal point of that offense, of course. And Latavius Murray as well added, what, 60-odd yards, didn't he? So... But that, that's complimentary football. That's, that's Sean Payton, you know, ensuring that the, the team itself isn't going to drop off. I mean, this... that's, Sean Payton is a dirty word on this podcast, just for the record. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, Ed had a sort of segment in all of last season where it was, how will Sean Payton die? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Bounty Gate really hit me. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but um, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that sort of two-headed Russian attack that the Saints have with Murray and Kamara, it's, it's very, very effective at sort of, you know, just ma- maintaining, the first, maintaining the first downs, keeping the machine chugging along, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Breeze's arm isn't passing the eye test. I mean, as much as, as, much as you want to sort of say, oh, he, he is hitting his receivers, and yeah, he is, but he's not hitting them. He's not hitting them downfield by more than 10 air yards. I mean, he's not really. There are moments where you see Detroit not even bothering to cover Deep receivers because there's no one, there's no hope that Breeze is going to hit them. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah, that's pretty because I was back in my usual role of live tweet in Red Zone and uh, I sort of made a point that someone on Twitter, uh, shout out to whoever it was, decided to have a full blown conversation with me about about how Drew Breeze, his arm sort of aerially might be shit, but it's also like he's not got any zit on his passes. It's almost sort of like he's he's floating everything that he throws, which is it's fine. It game managers and when you've got Kamara and uh, and Latavius Murray in the backfield like you can just get away with doing that but if he has to throw it further than five yards he's sort of throwing it almost as though it hurts like you can see just the his mechanics are off looks like he's just in fucking pain to be honest (laughs) right off into the sunset I think yeah, I, I think whichever way you look at it, it's going to be hard not to view this year as a bit of a swan song for Breeze. On the Lions side of the ball, does anyone have any notes other than that they just they have they have lost their last eight games where they have played well gained a score of twenty plus points? So well, they jumped out to an early 
what was it, 14 nothing lead? And then they yeah. just fell up. I mean, they gave up five consecutive touchdown drives after picking off Breeze on the first play of the game. So, I mean, you can't play football like that defensively. It's just, you know, it's, I, I, would, I would argue that their collapses recently are even more concerning than the Falcons. Yeah, because the Falcons have sort of got a bit of a penchant for this and, and they're wasting Matty Ice's career and they're wasting Julio's career. But like they still look like at any point they could break off sort of 40 points against the team and hold on. The Lions, I don't believe in holding on in any win either. Mm. But we'll get over to the Falcons later on. Has anyone got anything else to add for Lions Saints? Yeah. It's sort of, it's another one of these games where I think Matt Patricia, especially on defense, has just sort of conjured this identityless, like they barely rush the passer, which means they barely get any pressure, which means a QB like Drew Brees can just sit in the pocket and pick his passes. That was a lot of peas. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, Matt Patricia is just not justifying him being there. He's not bringing anything. He's not like the Detroit team and even the players are as stodgy as they were when he took over three years ago. Yeah, there's no there's no form of progression in there for Matt Patricia, which, I mean, if, if, if you were thinking that Matt Patricia was going to go in there and actually sort of guide this team to any more than five wins a year, like you probably had the wrong expectations. I don't understand the hire whatsoever, and I, I, I haven't understood it for the entire time. Just because they were in the Patriots organization does not mean that they are a good coach, and the Titans showed this for about 20 years why have the Lions fallen into this now? <laughs> I told you, didn't I, Ben? That is, <laughs> if I can get a time limit, that's about eight minutes for Tom's first jab at the Titans to come in. <laughs> Look, no, no, no. I've not had a jab at the Titans. I've had a jab at Patriots ex-coaches getting jobs elsewhere. Stop doing it. <laughs> Stay in New England. <laughs> Buccaneers Chargers was a game that... I had roller coaster of emotions throughout. I called the Chargers to win and it looked very promising. And then Austin Eckler went off and the Chargers lost all momentum. I think I, I can see why you had the Chargers to win. Um, and to be quite honest, I, on, on Gridiron Extra, when I was making my picks prior to the game, um, I almost put Chargers to win. But then I realized they had, what, 60% of their O line out, didn't they? Trey, Trey Turner, Mike Pouncey and Brian Balaga, all three were out. And I just thought, you know, does that bode... Well, it doesn't bode well, does it, for a rookie? <laughs> as, well as, as well as he's played. I mean, it was, a, it was another fantastic performance from Justin Herbert. I mean, he had a perfect passer rating at half-time. But I think, you know, the Bucks defence just buckled down towards the end of the game, didn't it? And, uh, you know, suffocated Herbert to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah, I agree. And Ed, I feel like you're probably going to want to talk about the the Bucks run defense because as soon as Austin Eckler ended up going out, it became a game of the run. And well, I'll leave it up to you because I know you're a big, big advocate of that Bucks run defense. I am, but I fear I'm becoming a one-trick pony just talking about how good Vita Vea is every week. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, there is a lot to like for the Bucks sort of defensively, and I'm really glad that I drafted them on fantasy because. I, they have once I once I decided to sort of can the Vikings defense. The the Bucks defense has sort of helped me out a lot. Did you start with the Vikings defense? Yeah, in the first week they got <laughs> negative nine. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, no, that's the that's the like halftime talk they got. Like, there's a little boy in England somewhere. And he needs you on his fantasy team. It's the only fan you've boy. got left. Sam, I'm older than you, little boy. <laughs> Ed hates yeah, it whenever you talk like any form of child metaphor to him what is it that i what i called you once i called you champ and you got really offended by it no 
You called me. You called me kid. Oh yeah, that was Brian. it. Because I I use a bunch of like non sequitur, gender neutral terms, and then Ed was just like, "What do you mean, kid? I'm older than you." I was like, "Fucking hell!" I, I only, he gets annoyed because he looks like a gets annoyed because he looks like an 1800s chimney sweep. <laughs> why are we playing this game? Why? Why? Every week it turns into let's trash on Ed's appearance. <laughs> oh no no no! It, the Vikings are a, a healthy target too. Yeah, me, yeah. The Vikings <laughs> the, and Ch- the sorrow in your voice. The Vikings and Chubby Gollum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, come for Trash on Ed's team. Emma's, Emma's here to trash the Vikings, apparently. No. Have <laughs> I made it in time? I, no, I sadly missed <laughs> Trash on Ed. There's, there's always time for, for Vikings trash. <laughs> I think we should leave trashing on the Vikings until sort of two games in when we get to the Vikings game. Yeah, because this is, this is Bucks Chargers right Actually, now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's not, let's not scatter it throughout. Let, let's have it be one hammer blow. Yeah. yeah. Um... Does Terod Taylor get his job back? I know Anthony Lynn said that after the Chiefs game that Justin Herbert was there to be the backup and this is why he's the backup and I, I panned him for it. And after this game, I, I will continue to defend the Justin Herbert case. Does Terod Taylor get a starting job again? I don't see how they could could drop Justin Herbert at this point. With Tyrod as a starter, you can't really, you know, they wouldn't really look like a, a playoff team Whereas, I mean, obviously they have kind of, you know, what, 11 starters out injured? Yeah, I think I so. Think. But I think, you know, once the, the injury trouble hopefully kind of passes, I think, you know, next season probably I'd, I'd pin them for the playoffs. Yeah, because even, even some big players like uh, Keenan Allen were playing sort of, despite having some mm. knocks and, and stuff. So Justin Herbert's sort of out there with like a bunch of rookies and second stringers and he's still making them look good. So yeah, I don't I don't produced. see how they could get him back. But isn't that the case for Tyrod in itself? Because as Ben put it, you know, there's only two of five starting O linemen. Like, do you, do you want to sort of risk the rookie playing behind that every week? I mean, they've not got the luxury of that in Cincy, but at least in LA, they can bring <laughs> Tyrod on and make sure that their, you know, future guy isn't just hammered into oblivion before the end of the season. Yeah. Well, there's, there's that, and I suppose there's the optics as well of, um, I think they're playing the Saints next week, aren't they? So either way, I, I probably, despite what we've been saying about Breeze, I quite fancy them to lose that game either way, whether it's Herbert or Tyrod, Tyrod, Tyrod however you want to pronounce it, starting. <laughs> But what say what say the hierarchy of the Chargers think? Let's start Taylor. Let's give him a go. Stick to our word, and then he goes and loses the game anyway. Then the argument's done. They still look good because they've stuck to their word. But then they listen to the fans, they listen to the media, and actually then officially pass the torch on to Justin Herbert after that point. Which I think then they play the Jets, which sets him up beautifully for the rest of the season. What what brilliant analysis? Um, yeah, astute points again. God. <laughs> <laughs> It's a slight Machiavellian kind of theory. I mean, at the same time, you know what the NFL's like. <laughs> I mean, those are always open for you to make as many Machiavellian points as you want, really. But I agree, actually, entirely. Because, uh, yeah, Tarod getting the start next week, I don't think would would be a bad thing for, for anyone. Let Justin Herbert get all of the shit teams and yeah. let Tarod Taylor get his lung punctured by Cam Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> If the, if the LA doctors don't beat him there first. Oh, you, again, you're a bad man, Thomas. <laughs> this is like <laughs> twice in two games I've just panned some shit yeah. organisation. Some, well, 
It's not even that. It's just some poor guy. Like, imagine you puncture your lung and suddenly Tyrod's there pointing at you laughing. No, I'm not I'm not taking the piss out of Tyrod. I'm taking the piss out of the fucking LA Chargers team doctor. Yeah. I don't understand I mean, how that could possibly happen. Like, yeah, I, as a, I simply don't. Incompetence. As a medical professional, Sam, could you... Very have... loose description but well i mean if you get in a if you get in like an im injection into like your chest or like i don't know where they were injecting him but like presume i'm gonna presume the the lung (laughs) well like i don't you know uh, did he sneeze did like (laughs) (laughs) what i think the question that's on on my lips sam is say say tyrod was like a komodo dragon or some other house pet is that a is that injection one you'd feel comfortable performing on the pet? Um, I'm going to say a hard no, but I would feel better performing it on something that can't sue me for malpractice. <laughs> yeah, it's a very astute point. Again, I've, I've, <laughs> like said, a, that, I've said that phrase like twice now. Yeah. Like a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> Is anyone, has anyone ever administered a pain relief injection on a goldfish? <laughs> I don't know, but... <laughs> I really you have to put not. it in the water. Do you want to? Do you want to stab a fish? Ain't no one stabbing a fish. I mean, there is an entire business practice based entirely around stabbing fishes. Like I've just. Well, if the intention fishes. is to kill them and harvest their meat, then anyway. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of, that's, oh, yeah, that's on. how we go off topic. Then that's how effectively we're able to do that. <laughs> 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 Brilliant. Speaking of being harvested for meat, Bengals Jags. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that O-line that Joe Burrow is working behind is still terrible. But, I mean, he, he got some relief by Joe Mixon having an unbelievable day. Three touchdowns, over 150 yards rushing, over 50 yards in receptions, as, uh, in receiving yards as well. What a fucking day for Joe Mixon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... Um... It was one of those days that I kept looking at the box score, right? Because I did have an eye on this game, but I kept looking at the box score and I was like, oh, Joe Mixon's playing well. Yeah, Joe Mixon's playing really <laughs> well. And then I suddenly thought, it's the it's the second quarter. Like, there, he had numbers that were sort of like end of game for your average running back by the second quarter. And I was like, oh, right, since you're doing something right then. And then I looked at the game and it was sort of... <sighs> I don't know. It, there's a there's a very real fear for in me already that since you're going to ruin Burrow, and mm. it, it it just feels like even in that game there were I don't know that there was some stuff where he like sort of chickened out of running or like because he's already he's already aware that the Bengals won't protect him and won't make the contested catches and it's it's upsetting this yeah when i watched this game i was upset yeah because i mean even the bengals o-line not only tries to completely murder joe mixon on every occasion that they can get but also they're now trying to harbor his entire like stat line there was a beautiful throw to tyler boyd sort of 30 yard touchdown back back corner of the end zone couldn't have been any better ball placement great catch Call back for holding because some O-line fuck tried to do something that he shouldn't have been doing. What are you doing? Assemble a goddamn O-line and that, let's play some football, man. Are we just going to let that hang? Yeah, I think <laughs> I, w- I was expecting uh, Sam to come in there with a vicious point about Joe Burrows. <laughs> it was, you know, it's an easy mistake to make. The the guy, you know, he's a cookie cutter. <laughs> Can't expect me, me to remember his name. No. That is true. But aside from being the number one overall pick literally seven months ago. Well. Yeah, if you'd have... Who, who isn't the number one pick? <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's, there, there, there were concerns coming out of the game on 
you know, on Sunday saying that he's, you know, not an effective deep ball passer. But when you've got that O-line, how can you be? I mean, mm. I think summing it up at the beginning, you know, of this of the piece here, it's got it's on mixing. It's on mixing. That running game needs to succeed. Plus, you need to tight end. Drew Samples blocking tight end. He dropped, you know, a touchdown, didn't he? So obviously Burrow's stat line would have been that much better. Yeah. Um, I mean, Burrow wasn't faultless on that play. Um, it wasn't a perfectly thrown ball, but Sample should have come down with it. And then he allowed Miles Jack just to snag it out of his hands and, and complete the interception. Yeah. It was a, and, it was a great play by Jack. I mean, he really did have to sort of he showed like great athleticism for a sort of linebacker to be getting that. But you're right, it was it was Sample's ball. He should have had it. It's one of those ones where it'll go against Burrow, but it definitely should go against Sample. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something that I've been arguing that maybe we should have like an, a change to the interceptions rule, because, well, start, because let's just be real here. If we look at at least 15 of Nathan Peterman's first 15 games, he threw <laughs> like, he threw some bad passes, but him throwing like 4,000 interceptions, but most of them were tip balls from bad Bills receivers. I'm not having it. Nathan Peterman should still be in the goddamn league. Tom, remind, <laughs> us, remind us who Nathan Peterman played for as a college QB. I have no idea. Oh, he, he played, played for Pitt. Oh! He played for fucking <laughs> Pitt. Yeah. In the team that had Aaron Donald in, in defense, he had yeah. Pitt. Oh, God. Yeah, and he looked good in, in well, in the pit offense. <laughs> I've actually watched some footage of Nathan Peterman to decide whether or not he was actually ruined by the Bills or just already <laughs> shit. He was ruined by the Bills, and this was like pre-McDermott. I am inclined to agree with you that Nathan Peterman was ruined by the Bills. And just to get back to the, the Bengals recently, you Joe Burrow looks infinitely better than Peterman. But by that same token, there is a very, very real threat that he will be ruined by another incompetent organization. Yeah, yeah, um, true. And Ed Gardamincio on the other side is flourishing despite an incompetent organization. <laughs> well, yeah, very true. He doesn't. I heard an I heard an amazing fact, Tom. Sorry to interrupt you. You know the 2018 NFLPA. You know they are in charge of sort of the grievances filed by all players. Yeah. And obviously there are 32 teams. In the 2018 season, 25% of all grievances filed by all players were Jags players against the Jags organization. Wow. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. Holy shit. They, I think the players collectively were forced to pay something around $700,000 in fines for various sort of misdemeanors. And they complained to the NFLPA about it. Yeah, I, I mean, think that most of them were rescinded. Me. It doesn't. It doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Like, let's be real here: the Jags are just a complete mess. It's it's a it's amazing that they managed to hit on Gardner Minshew the way that they did. They, you know, the, the Jags are. The funny thing is, though, that they they haven't actually drafted poorly necessarily. They just can't seem to maximize talent again. It's that it's that Jets conundrum. Players go to Jacksonville to die. <laughs> Much, yeah. yeah, much in the same way that sort of elderly Americans go to Florida when the times come. I think <laughs> straight, straight out of college, get to Florida, get in your fucking rocking chair. Straight out of college <laughs> sounds like your sort of debut rap album, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> debut spoken word poetry. Yeah. Ben, <laughs> did you know that Ed's a published poet? Uh, no, I did not. No, that's news to me. That's very impressive. One of the quotes on the back of my poetry book is from Sam. Wait, um, is it actually? I have a copy of it. Yeah, I see. I never even noticed it. I don't read. The back. I don't even really. I didn't even really read any of the interior of it either. 
Happy day. That's my pride and joy. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm sorry. I just I, don't I, do I poetry. Enjoy that. Yeah, I got a, like I get, when I first sort of circulated it. I got a, the strongest critical analysis I got of it was from Sam's mum. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to get onto that. <laughs> yeah, what, I, I gave. God, I, sorry, I was just going to ask you. Can you remember what the snippet, what the what the feedback was, the review? I can remember exactly what it was. It said, what, what did my mum said? Oh, the, the Jane said. Jane, I think, my, wasn't in mine. Yeah, get, go, Sam. You'll know it better than me. My quote on the back was Edward Wilkins, more like Edward Thrillkins. This collection blew my tits off. <laughs> um, and my mum, it was like I'd left the book on like our coffee table in the conservatory. And I saw her like pick it up. And like flick through it like fairly quickly. And I was like, oh, what do you think? And she was like, uh. And I was like, no, what? And she looked at me and she looked at the book and she was like, what was the point? Now <laughs> <laughs> I have thought many a time, what is the point of poetry? All right. Emma's, Emma's not here to defend poetry. <laughs> yeah. Emma's no, also like, a poet. All right. Yeah. But How also, like, if you look at basically 95% of what Carol Ann Duffy's written, like I could, I could safely say none of it has any relevance. Yeah, well, Tom, have you read any poetry that wasn't on the GCSE curriculum? Uh, yeah, I have on the A-level curriculum. <laughs> Suck it, loser. Pick better wording next time. One day, when I am on the, the A-level curriculum, you guys will be laughing on the other side of your faces, all right? <laughs> um, speaking of laughing on the other side of your faces, Texans, Vikings, everyone. Oh, get the bleeper out. They finally fucking did it, but I mean, so what you're probably going to hear now, Ben, is tirade of complete and utter rage. And me and you go are going to disagree with it, but go on, Ed. We'll bleep all of it out. No, actually, I'm, I've, I've calmed down enough about it to be able to speak sort of comfortably, but it, it, was the, the, it was comfortable, or it would have been comfortable for the Vikings were it not for a hideous call of helmet-to-helmet contact on a shoulder-to-helmet hit. In fairness, <laughs> the call was targeting. The targeting's a college call. It's, it's a, you can't call targeting in the NFL. It's, oh. It was a helmet-to-helmet hit. And it wasn't helmet to helmet. So I mean that's that's egregious enough as it is. But to for Harrison Smith to be ejected, right? The best safety in the NFL to be ejected, and then George Iloka come on and give <laughs> give up fourteen points by himself. Ben just pulled a face that is genuinely like it sums up everything that every time Ed says Harrison Smith is the best safety in the NFL, I do the exact same thing, Ben. <laughs> the exact same face. Yeah, I mean I can't I can't speak for any of my current Seahawks, of course, but obviously after being treated to the LOB for so many years, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd beg to differ with that one. So, <laughs> wait, Jamal Adams? No, 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 no. I mean, J- Jamal's a you know phenomenal top five, absolutely. But you know, in coverage, is he can be a bit of a liability. So. Um, J- Jamal Adams probably isn't my top guy now, but Harrison Smith certainly isn't either. So <laughs> I don't, I don't get this. How, how can Harrison Smith not be the best? How just in terms of his coverage stats, he's been the best since the end of the league. In terms of his pass breakups, all sorts. In terms of his ability to, okay, let me <laughs> let me try and let me try and frame this correctly. Sorry, I'm stirring <laughs> the pot. That's all. Yeah, you are. Was. There is no greater defensive leader in Sam's the NFL right now. Wait. Yeah, he's just sent me a message saying he's had to go. Oh, okay. Not to worry, he might be back in a bit. But anyway, th- I mean, this in terms of being like that quarterback of the defense, like in terms of being that the guy who everything goes through, I'll I'll take your point that he's not the best safety in the NFL. And while I'll disagree with it, I'll say that he's certainly the most important defender on the Vikings, right? And so yeah. you, you take away the absolute core of what Zimmer has 
over a not only a contentious call, a completely blown call. What it does is it means that the Texans are allowed to score 14 points and turn a game that which really should have been out of hand into a contest again. So that's that's a bit of ref ball for me. I'm I'm very disappointed by how well you could you controlled yourself then. I was expecting more fury, more anger. If you if you haven't, Ben, if you haven't heard the famous Tom discussing the incident, which was the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph right. oh, yeah. helmet yeah. swing from last year. Tom bearing in mind I think that was the that one of the early games in the Sunday window. I think when we were no, recording... no, no, it was it was it was a late game in the Sunday window because it was, was nighttime it? in Cleveland. Okay. Well, I I remember so so clearly that it was Thursday from the next week. And I'd been to work with Tom and we we, we used to sit where I could see him. And at times I'd see him with an angry expression on his face and know that he was thinking about Miles Garrett. That's that's how livid he was. And then he came to the podcast and he just delivered this sort of 15 minute tirade where he, he told not not only Miles Garrett, but he told the city of Cleveland that it deserved to die, essentially. Yeah, I basically told all of Cleveland, Ohio to go fuck itself. And I maintained that because all of Cleveland can go fuck itself. <laughs> But my, so, actual, my hatred for Miles Garrett is not at all existent anymore. I think he's a fantastic safety, uh, not safety, fucking edge rusher. <laughs> Sorry, all the talk of safety. Yeah, I mean, what were you? I tell you what, I'll I'll start up a new meeting, and then you guys can give sort of Houston Vikings takes before we uh, before we do that. What was Ben going to say? Oh, all I was going to say, Tom, because we were talking about safeties. Who would you rank above Harrison Smith? Right, I I basically have like a top three safeties in in the NFL, and Ed disagrees with all of them, but it's Jamal Adams, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Teren Mathieu. Oh, okay, interesting. I'll go with Jamal. Um, I'll put him second. And I'll say Derwin James first. Ooh. The track record, though, if we're talking about track record, then I'll go Earl Thomas. And then I think, obviously, Harrison Smith absolutely does have a fair shout. And I think I could be swayed either way. But in terms of pure talent, Derwin James for me. The problem, See, the problem that I have with Derwin James is just the sample size is too small. It's been two years since he's played an official game. I mean, he, he, could, he looked great in preseason. I mean, I watch Hard Knocks and he was like clearly the best player. But then, you know, availability is a, is a, is a, excuse me, is a trait. Yeah, that's that my side sort of issue. NFL players, yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree, which is why I, I'm obviously talking about, you know, pure talent alone, and, and that's where I'd have him. I mean, I'd just like to throw a wild card, though, into there, Justin Simmons as well. Yeah, based not not much, not so much off this year, because he's been very sort of underwhelming. Justin Simmons. Yes. Yeah, he's kind of been pants this season, though, for want of a better word. Yeah, but he, I do agree, he's, he's got a lot of talent about him. He's a very good player. Mm. There, there, are, there are so many, like safety is a weirdly sort of um, very, very top heavy talent wise. Like there are either very, very good safeties or like middling to average to poor safeties. Like there's no, do you know what I'm saying? Because like players like Micah Hyde even, or like those are the players or Kevin Bayard, like these are great safeties across the league. Like a lot of teams have a strong sort of, Kevin Bayard is a playmaker, absolute deep playmaker. One of the leading interception artists, isn't he, in the league over the yeah. last, last few years? Bayard's, you know, fantastic. I think in terms of an all-round safety, though, he's not quite at the level of a, you know, Harrison Smith, for instance. But yeah, 
pure playmaker he's really up there the thing that i find interesting about safeties is usually obviously you've got a a free and a strong safety usually you'll have one if a team's going to have an incredible safety they'll usually have one really good safety and then one just sort of like bang average guy that could at any point be interchangeable it's very it's very weird to have sort of two on one team i mean i'm gonna sort of use the steelers as an example because i think there's no better example of this than minka fitzpatrick and then terrell edmonds so those kind of linebacker hybrid uh, linebacker safety hybrids you know i think the cardinals did it a few years ago with what was he called buchanan their yeah, player. yeah. Been, a, been, been a few more as well hasn't there i mean landon collins you know, he's he's a, he's a Washington now, I believe. I mean, he's a fantastic in-the-box safety, but then he's a bit of a liability in coverage. You know, he a high draft pedigree, but he's not really a do-it-all. He, he has, he's more of that linebacker safety hybrid, which I think more and more teams are kind of using almost as a third safety look these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, I think... I know they weren't the original guys to go for a cover three, but Cam Chancellor was so important to that Legion of Boom Seahawks defense oh, God, as well. Yeah. And he, he did the same thing, didn't he? he yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners, Ben is currently wearing a Cam Chancellor jersey or certainly another 31 Seahawks tee. <laughs> yeah, an absolute legend, obviously, for the Legion. I mean, the thing is, Cam, Cam was always seen as that heavy hitter, you know, that guy that, you know, brought the proverbial boom to that legion, so to speak. But, I mean, he was also excellent in coverage. I mean, he made some game-changing plays. Think back to the divisional matchup in 2013, obviously on the Super Bowl run against the Panthers, you know, where he took Cam Newton all the way back, 70 Mm. yards on an interception, pick six. Some other plays, multiple plays like that, he, he was... He was a do-it-all, but he was obviously known as a, a thumper-in-the-box guy. Yeah, Going back yeah, to Texans-Vikings... Um, yeah, we probably should return. We basically only talked about Smith's helmet-to-helmet, and then that was it. I know that in losing Stefan Diggs, there was sort of issue maybe that the Vikings would only have Thielen to go to, and we saw that through the first two weeks where it was Thielen or nobody, and mm. it, it showed big time in the box score as well because there was there was basically no offense for the Vikings as well outside of Dalvin Cook and, and Adam Thielen. Justin Jefferson, however, has been a revelation for that team. They've basically they've gone from being offensively inept through the first sort of two, three weeks to looking dangerous at least and having that deep threat kind of player back again. Well, it's, it's funny you should mention that because he's certainly like a game-breaking threat. Like he's a, he's not Stefan Diggs because he's not as fast as Diggs and he's, he's bigger than Diggs. So in terms of like the deep threat, he does bring that. But I think he's the, the player I would actually say he's most like is Thielen. It's, it's a strange thing. They both sort of win the contested catches. Yeah. Like they both do everything very well, but like nothing spectacularly. But that shows because they, they're both just sort of piling up yards at the moment, certainly over the past two games. I, so, I yeah. think that's absolutely right. I think that's that's hit the nail in the head. I, I, I really, really, I don't understand why there wasn't a little bit more hype over Justin Jefferson coming out of LSU because he is a smooth route runner. You know, he's got great hands. He looked like a polished product, um, more so than the likes of, you know, T Higgins, for instance, who the Bengals took. And, mm. you know, you could argue as well, in terms of a well-rounded prospect, you can argue that case over C.D. Lamb. I mean, C.D. Lamb obviously has almost incomparable measurables and his athletic profile is off the charts. But Justin Jefferson, I, you know, I, I think it's an absolute, you know, wonderful, fantastic pick for the, for the Vikings. I think, to be fair, the, probably the reason why you may not have had as much hype is, I mean, if you think back to the draft that's just gone, 
there were so many wide receivers that like in other years could have gone sort of top 10 draft picks and like in even in the instance of sort of T Higgins you fall into the second round the the wide receiver class was absolutely stacked so Justin Jefferson sort of ended up getting lost in the names so to speak because you've also got to factor in like Jerry Judy and and Henry Ruggs as well who are very good rookies who I mean Ruggs has at least got the benefit of still having his starting quarterback whereas Jerry Judy's now dealing with Brett Rippon, but you know, it, it, I think it's so stacked. Yeah, and I, I completely take your point. I think I think Ruggs is another one of those guys that gets people excited because of the athletic profile. Mm. Judy, I absolutely see. I think Judy was the best receiver in the class. I mean, his yeah. his route was sensational. You know, real, real smooth breaks. But Jefferson, you know, you you could see almost as a poor man's Judy coming out of the draft. But you know that that isn't a knock on him, and that is purely based on you know what we've just been saying about the sheer depth at wide receiver in the 2020 class. Yeah, I think it definitely hurt him that he ran most of his routes in the slot as well. I mean, there is an unfair stigma about slot receivers, but there's no team, certainly in my opinion, there's no team that utilizes the slot as well as the Vikings have done previously with Thielen and sort of digs on the outside. Mm. So with them both able to take that role and also like Herb Smith can do it as well. I think that what they have this sort of like strange compact offense. Like I'm not sure if you've, you've seen this, they very rarely have sort of like outside receivers. They're very much sort of in and around the, um, the O line and then they'll sort of burst out. And it's, we don't do a lot of other than the play action. We don't do a lot of like natural disguise. There's not like a great amount of trick plays or anything like that. But I think what that does is it confuses the defense even more as to whether it's run, whether it's pass, because they come out of the same shapes, not just like similar ones in terms of, are we running from the eye or are we running from the shotgun? But I mean, like down to the sort of placement of the wide receivers on the field, there's no way that you'd be tipped off as a defender whether it was run or pass that is the that is the core of the success for the vikings with with regards to the texans then so obviously the the big news we'll we'll sort of get onto in a second this was the game that bill o'brien was like right i'm calling all the plays this is me i'm gonna do it and they they well yeah it was just aside from deshaun watson they looked shit the texans have looked bad the entire time under bill o'brien and somehow they made the playoffs and this was just another instance of deshaun watson trying to do everything for bill o'brien and now bill o'brien i think has paid the penalty for that why they put him in charge of play calling i don't know but i mean they've clearly seen enough of bill o'brien because he's gone ladies and gentlemen he is fucking left put himself in charge of play calling i mean he is he is the de facto you know <laughs> god in, in 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 houston and i you know why he was allowed to do that i mean mcnair's obviously fired him now because he's had enough but i mean it was just so uninspiring watching the texans i mean they were still in the game in the fourth quarter obviously yeah. the will fuller get touchdown got overturned of course but i mean you know watson didn't look great but i think that must be because of the play calling i mean Zimmer, obviously, and the Vikings, D, had a nice game plan. They were dropping linebackers into kind of, you know, intermediate coverage, which just meant that Watson looked too scared to make those kind of, you know, those out routes. And and obviously, when they weren't available, he also looked too shell-shocked to even make a run for it. So it was just uninspiring from the Texans. Yeah, it it really was. And it, it was, do you know, they, they're the only team in the NFL now without a turnover on defence as well. Like, that's the sort of, yeah, four games. I think that you could have been forgiven for thinking, oh, the jury's still out on the Texans, you know, week one, even even through week three. Like, they've faced some of the best teams in the AFC there. Like, maybe the best three teams in the AFC. 
And then I think it brings them right back to earth and say, oh no, this team is actually garbage. You've lost to the Vikings. They were 0-3. They were a deserved 0-3. Mm, yeah. Like you need to take a long, hard look at yourselves. And the, the, the crazy part is that me and Tom were talking about this yesterday. They've not even got the draft capital to reload anytime soon because they've not got a first or second round pick. Yeah, so the Dolphins have actually got their pick and they're sat 0-4 right now. So like we could end up seeing the Dolphins having two top eight picks in the first two rounds of this coming draft. And that's because Bill O'Brien, when you think about what you need to do as a GM and a head coach, and you want to sort of strengthen your team, the thing that you don't want to do is take all of your best playmakers, aside from your quarterback, out of your goddamn team and trade them for players that aren't good enough and haven't been good enough for for years. Barkevius Mingo going for... Jadavian Clowney. They they <coughs> spent shit tons on fucking Laramie Tunsil coming in, and he's he's one member of a five man O line that isn't doing enough. And you take away Deshaun Watson's best and potentially only reliable weapon in exchange for David Johnson, who had not been good since 2016. But remember, remember they've they've done all this and they're gonna be carrying. They've got a roster full of studs and scrubs, so to speak. Yeah. The studs are in the middle for a start. You know, they're not earning their keep. And then they're going to be carrying in, you know, a roster into next year without first and second round draft picks. But it's going to be a $250 million roster that they're carry, carrying into next year. You know, rosters are, are built around, you know, that, that emerging middle class, you know, draft picks that are outperforming their, you know, their, their draft round, you know, and, it's, and, and the kind of the middle class veterans that are signed on vet minimum contracts or just over minimum They've not got any of that. It's just, you know, it's not a very appealing job for anyone to go into. It's going to be impossible for them to hire midway through the season because the leading candidates are all on teams that are in contention. It's just, yeah, it's just a mess. Mm -hmm. And the biggest, I think we should probably move on after this, but the biggest takeaway that I took away from the, the Houston side is on both sides of the ball, they looked slow. Yeah. Like they were, yeah. they were so slow defensively. And even like outside Will Fuller and Deshaun Watson, like they were slow. They were, they were especially slow in like their run blocking, you know, because mm. they run it. They do run a lot of like zone reads where like it's, it's up to the linemen to sort of get to the next level. And yeah. so often you were seeing linemen just sort of not being able to do that, not having the athleticism. And you sort of think with Bill O'Brien being as he is, like you say, that, that sort of almost like a czar, like a football czar, like yeah. why <laughs> the questions have to be raised, I think at this point about the coaching and about the sort of the personnel, you know, why are, why is it that a team full of NFL players aren't maximized effectively? You know, that mm. is, is it a nutritional thing? Is it like a, do they need to get the Chip Kelly smoothies out? Is that yeah. kind of question? <laughs> well, all right. moving on from Texans-Vikings, we move over to your game, Ben. We move over to your game, Ben. Dolphins-Seahawks. Give us, give us your first bit of Seahawks analysis on the pod. Well, 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 this is an exciting moment, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are, we're a defence at the minute. Well, we've always been a defence under Pete Carroll that will bend but not break. Now, unfortunately, we're bending more than we usually bend and we are breaking from time to time, especially yeah. for the first three, week, three weeks. However, this week we did ensure that Fitz Magic didn't really get a chance to kind of make those back-breaking plays against us. And, and despite being depleted, obviously Quinton Dunbar was missing, uh, Marquise Blair's missing for the season, of course, Jamal Adams. We, we didn't really give away that many big plays. So we're starting to come together. And I think this is a bit of a gripe, not just Seahawks related. I'm going off on a slight tangent here. 
so far this season, we've just seen bad defences across the board. Yeah. Bad defence. I mean, for us to be 4-0 and and we've given up historically one of the most pass yards of all time, you know, it's just, it's just phenomenal. I, I saw Pro Football Focus ranked as, I think, the number nine defence as well after Ooh, four weeks, which that's... just shows how bizarre it is, you know. But, that, but it's, it's just an NFL, I think, lack of preseason, a lack of full preparation. It just means the defences are behind where the offences are. Well, we always but see it early doors. Like the first, yeah. I think it was Dave Damashek who used to say, defences don't exist until November. It's an, it's mm. an entirely offence-heavy game and you only see your team actually start getting a defence when you sort of hit the sort of November time, week 11 maybe. But... Yeah, the the Seahawks defense I think has been has been shaky, but uh, this was a good, a pretty good performance against a Dolphins team that can excite on offense. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you know we 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 continue to struggle in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. I mean, you know, of course Jamal Adams has done that through the first three weeks. We we still do need some playmakers there on the D line. Um, Alton Robinson needs more snaps. Fifth round pick this year, he needs more snaps because he's looked exciting in the limited action he's had so far. But Benson Mayoa, you know, it, <laughs> leading our pass rush isn't particularly inspiring. But once we get Dunbar and Adams back, hopefully that, that defence should continue to come together. KJ Wright had a great game, could have had three interceptions to be fair. You know, he was making plays all over the field, but you know, all in all, it was a, it was a solid win, uh, win. And I'd like to point out, I predicted it, I called it the result. So uh, I was told by a friend that it can be about a hundred to one shot when you get the score exactly right. So I'm a little bit annoyed at <laughs> place, but hey ho. Yeah. <laughs> And if you want to see exactly where he, he got that right, where where can you see that, Ben? So that's on uh, our website, gridironextra.com. Extra without an E. Uh, <laughs> but you can follow us on Twitter. Um, it's just at gridironextra. And we make weekly picks every week. So feel free to give us a follow or, or speak to us if you are an aspiring writer in the UK as well. Because I'd like to see it as a platform for for people to be able to contribute as and where they feel necessary. Sounds like a, sounds like a good plan. Ed? What are your thoughts on Dolphins Seahawks? I know you're a big fan of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, the sort of the man who could sell a thousand million bottles of beard oil. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like, again, I, I know you've been talking to Seahawks defense and it, they've got an incredible Batman, Batman and Robin in Bobby Wagner and KJ, KJ Wright. I mean, they are two phenomenal linebackers and they play well off each other, but it's, it's exactly as you said, Ben. It's I you'll beat us next week pretty handily, I think, with the amount of offensive talent you have. But then like when you give away so many yards, I mean, was it like back to back is it back to back four hundred or was it five hundred games? weeks two and three I can't remember it was yeah I mean we, we either way it was I think in terms of total yards we were looking at well over 1100 yards over three weeks um, which I think is historically the worst of all time I think the Dolphins was at around about 1100 last season so yes you know we, we like I was saying we always we always bend but we're bending a little bit too far at the minute mm. but well, sat, I mean that's it sat for now is yeah. the yeah. is the best start about this and what is the thing if I think is it Something like if Russ carries on at this pace, he'll throw 70 touchdowns this year. I think that's the... Around about that, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And the thing thing that I have to ask, though, is like why... Because obviously you're sort of more plugged in with the Seahawks. Like, why hasn't he been allowed to do this before? Like, what's been... Because I know that they've had like Schottenheimer in as the sort of the play caller and he's very conservative. But like, what, what what has been 
the reason why they haven't you know, let Russ, I'm not going to say let Russ cook. Let Russ cook. <laughs> let him <Yeah>. cook. <laughs> Jeff Wilson. in offenses, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I don't necessarily think he's not been allowed to cook because we've seen it time and time again in fourth quarters where he's had to lead us back down the field and he's done that very, very effectively. I just think our MO, you know, since what, 2010, 20, 2009, whatever it was that Carroll came in, the MO has always been to keep games close, make sure we're not taking unnecessary risks and protect the ball. And of course, you know, when you're throwing and flinging it about like Russ is at the minute, you've got more chance of making those turnovers. Now, what we are seeing is an impressive performance by him so far because the two interceptions that he's had, you can argue one of them 100% wasn't his fault. And the second one this weekend, again, it wasn't the best throw in the world, but it wasn't a drastic error. It wasn't a drastic mistake. Mm. Um, it's so it's Carol, one of those ones where it was a better play by the DB than it was a bad play by... Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I mean, Schottenheimer as well is, you know, he's up in the stands as well. He's got a different angle. He's got a different view this year on the offence. And I, and I just believe those two are starting to click. You know, we, you know, Chris Carson, I think we also need to protect because mm. whilst he's an impressive running back, he's fantastic through contact. You know, he, we, we've seen that he is slightly fragile. So I think, you know, it's just the case. It's just the natural progression for Russell Wilson. And it's also kind of allowing for him to be more satisfied, you know, when we're talking about him potentially being unhappy in, in Seattle in the long term. I just think it's a long term ploy in, in that regard. Mm. Speaking of teams that are sort of on pace to achieve ridiculous passing totals, do you want to move to Cowboys Browns because let's talk Dak Prescott for a second here. So it's been sort of a long standing sort of storyline, really. Is Dak the problem in Dallas or is the players around him making him look good? This year, Dak Prescott has been the lone cowboy who has been trying to haul ass in this goddamn team. And everyone on defense and his coaching, well, defensive coaching is just let him down. This is a man who's on pace to, I think, throw somewhere around 6,700 yards. Yeah. And there's a reason why the Seahawks have given up 1,100 yards in their first three weeks or whatever. It's because one of those weeks they faced Dak Prescott, who has obliterated secondaries basically on his own. And yet the Cowboys sat one and three because of yet another loss, because of yet another poor defensive performance. See, I'm going to screw with you on this with Dak. I know you like Dak and I know I don't, but... I've never seen a QB pass for so many yards and still fail the eye test. Like, you'll have to be the decider on this, Ben, but he just looks to me like he's not throwing the whole root tree and it looks like he's relying on his receivers to make big plays and he's turning the ball over. And yeah, for like for all of these yards that he's accumulating, he's still, he's, he doesn't pass the eye test as a competent passer who can look after the ball, take care of the ball. No, I know, and I think that's partially why Jerry Jones and co have refused to pay him as an elite starting quarterback. I mean, you know, they're stuck with him on the franchise tag again. So unless they want to do the same thing in 2021, he, he could end up walking away, which actually over the long term, you know, may or may not benefit the Cowboys. I think that this team's just absolutely fallen apart on defense, though. It's difficult to judge Jack, uh, Dak, Jack, who's Jack? Uh, Dak this season <laughs> based on his yardage when, you know, he's been playing in games where they've been trailing significant, you know, so that that's that's also something we need to bear in mind. That's why he has to create the offense all by himself. You know what I think the Cowboys' problem is, though? I don't think it's Dak. And I, I don't think, really, Zeke has helped him out. I, Zeke has been a, at best, average running back this year. And you could say, potentially, he was last year as well. I mean, 
the Cowboys have been a bang average team and you're looking at their sort of big name players on offense and they're not helping them out as much. Luckily, at least Dak started to actually, I mean, in my opinion, pass the eye test. But I mean, you guys disagree. But do you know what the the Cowboys' biggest problem is? It's Mike Nolan, the defensive coordinator for Dallas. He has a tendency to overcomplicate it. And I called it last week. I said that the Cowboys look like a team who've not been given a defensive scheme and are told to go out there as individual players and make plays. Mike Nolan has actually done the opposite of that. I I said it the wrong way around. Mike Nolan's actually given them so complicated of a defensive scheme that they are busting coverages, blowing plays left, right and centre. I think Jalen Smith has been bad this year he's not looking like a a healthy player he might have some kind of underlying issues but I think Mike Nolan is genuinely letting the Cowboys down here because if you're if, if you're secondary and your pass rush and your linebackers basically all three units on your defense the bits you control are telling you that they have no idea what you're on about and it's meaning that you're conceding 40 points a game. I'd just like to point out, Tom, that's that's so you to ignore the most important part of defence in my mind, which is the rush defence. <laughs> yeah, I know, but uh, come on. I, I basically pointed it out. Mike Nolan <laughs> has complicated everything that he made me forget about the run defence. The, yeah, the, yeah. It, it definitely. They look, they look undercoached. They look like headless chickens half the time. And, defensively it really does have the the air of sort of like a xfl team defensively which is which is weird because there is a lot of name recognition on that defense you know there is a lot of there there is a lot of players who you think oh i've heard that name and it's it's sort of at the moment i'm trying to think of the team that they they remind me of and it's actually sort of like it's getting to the point where they remind me of like the philip rivers chargers Mm. you know what i'm saying yeah Yeah. they are the sort of sorry yeah no no carry on sorry it's, yeah, it's, they just look like a team that is going to find ways to lose games. Like, they go out, the amount of times they fumbled and just, like, sank the ball into the mud, like, they are finding ways to lose games and then relying on Dak to try and claw his way out of them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The name recognition as well, an interesting little tidbit. I think uh, Demarcus Lawrence, I don't know if any of you guys heard what, what he quoted, what he said the other day. No. And it's worrying when you hear quotes like this from uh, your key man on the defensive line, but he described that, that unit as soft as shit. So, you know, it's a little bit concerning. You know who they remind me of, though? You know who this Dallas, this Dallas Cowboys team reminds me of? Who? Mid-2010s, Tony Romo, Dallas Cowboys. So we're seeing the same yeah. kind of stories play out again. You know, I remember mm-hmm. in that, you know, historic... Peyton Manning season in 2013. Obviously, that of course he lost the Super Bowl, but we'll uh, we'll leave that for <laughs> now. I think I think they had a game where the, they lost to the Broncos by about something like 52, 48 they or did, something. No, they did. Yeah, because yeah. Tony Romo threw for like a historic day, basically yeah. like one of the best quarterback performances we've ever seen. And the Cowboys yeah. lost the game yeah. because they conceded more points. It just, I mean, yeah. Christ. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. That is full circle. Yeah. I do also just want to quickly mention that, I mean, we invite a Seahawks fan in here. And of course he mentions the Seahawks Broncos <laughs> Super Bowl. He's, he's allowed it, to get one in. Tom. It took us like to 45 minutes, but he made it. He eventually got it in. Yeah. 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 I tell you what, it's, it's been two years and I've not got to mention, I've not wanted to mention a Viking Super Bowl yet. <laughs> yeah. On the Browns side of things, I, 
Kevin Stefanski is is taking the offense that basically made him the great offensive mind over in over in Minnesota and applying it to a team that has needed guidance and has needed a scheme that they can actually work with. This team looks scary and it looks like the team that they should have done last season right now. Yeah. I'm the, all for it to be honest. The best thing that I think Stefanski does certainly he did it last year in Minnesota and he's doing it again. It's taking the pressure off the quarterback. Yeah. Like you watch Baker not having to make, not having to play hero ball means that he can just sort of, you know, as long as, as long as he is able to perform throws on the run, is able to sort of like utilize those rollouts. Mm. Then what you sort of find is that it's, it's far more reliant on sort of scheme to get players open and far more reliant on that sort of zone rushing game. Yeah. Cause obviously when you've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, in your backfield, like you shouldn't have really much quarterback pressure anyway, because in fairness, two of the best running backs in the league. I mean, Kareem Hunt was a starter in Kansas City and was lighting it up, and now he's a backup in in Cleveland. I don't think that them losing Nick Chubb is going to have much of an impact, other than it's going to sort of mean that they have to throw Duke Johnson in there for occasional snaps. But like, no, Duke Johnson's in Houston now. Oh, God. oh they've got Duke and David. They've yeah. got Duke Johnson, haven't they? The Browns now. Ernest, I think he's called. Cool. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, so like Kareem Hunt's going to get more of the carries, but like Kareem Hunt had a lot of the carries anyway. Like they shouldn't have had much pressure. They also have like Jarvis Landry, who has been a revelation since leaving the Dolphins, since leaving Adam Gase, basically. <laughs> yeah, did you did you listen to our episode where Adam Gase is an actual warlock who is like strangling it's, the careers? I yeah. did. It dies. I think the, one of the one of the quotes was something about placing a hex on the MetLife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's created a, he's created an offensive identity as an Stefanski, and and I and I think it's not just necessarily the run game with Chubb and Hunt. I think the key for that team, we've not, I mean, we've not even mentioned Odell Beckham's performance. Well, now, I was going to come on to that because I think it deserves a mention on its own, and and I'll let you do it. All, all I was going to say is this: this is part of this offensive identity. I think the problem with Beckham sometimes, if you don't get him involved, he can kind of go missing, can sulk. You know, that's just based on reading body language i might be way off the mark there you're not off the mark at no, all i can confirm no. this 100 percent, and so will sam the giants fan <laughs> but if you're if you're getting beckham involved early and often on jet sweeps you know whatever it might be crossing routes anything then mm. he's going to stay in the game he's going to stay engaged and you've, you've got a hell of a playmaker on your hands that again we're talking about taking pressure off the qb it's, it's a recipe for success as far as i'm concerned the, just the, the way point out, sorry, Tom, just briefly, I want to hand out a commiseration to Blair, who's obviously a friend of the show. He's in our, our fantasy league and he had OBJ on the bench this week. Oh, <laughs> oh that was <laughs> rough. Yeah. So apologies to Blair. Commiserations rather. You know, yeah. chin up, son. To be honest, the, the, the thing that I just want to sort of basically close off on, unless anyone's got anything that they want to talk about aside from this, is... This was another fun game. I fucking love the NFL. Just uh, just every time that a team is down by 25 points and then they start making a comeback and everyone's hooked. Like, I have been paying attention to the Cowboys far more than I ever have wanted to because <laughs> they keep staying in games and keep making comeback runs and then Odell Beckham Jr. goes on a 65-yard jet sweep. So, like, <laughs> it, was, it was technically 50 yards, but, like, he, he went about 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage when he had it. So, like, we're, we're going to give him 65. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I, th- I think, just to round up then with this and, and coming back to, you know, what you were saying about Cleveland becoming, you know, a real force, I think 
they just need to understand that a game is 60 minutes long, you know, because that, that <laughs> deep started to look a little bit slow and tired and worn down as the game went on. Of course, you know, Dallas were, and Dak were outstanding, mm. but they do need to close out those games. Miles Garrett, you know, is leading by example, but the rest of the defense needs to be hauled along. And I, I'm sure they'll get there. I'm sure they'll get there, but it's just the, the last step for them to really be considered a force. Well, they actually they had sort of three or four dropped picks, and if they made one of those, then this game would have sort of fallen by the wayside as just a really dominating Browns offensive performance and a good defensive performance. Like, yeah. if they make the plays, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Ed's going to hate me for doing this, but it reminds me of in 2018 the Steelers defense had so many dropped potential interceptions and we ended up like low in the turnover thing and you could see that there was something happening i think that the browns have got potential for for actual success if they keep this group together and just keeps them just keep letting kevin stefanski actually coach them on like that mm-hmm. bomb freddy kitchens and draft a linebacker for god's yeah, for sake for fuck's draft sake a draft linebacker. a goddamn linebacker <laughs> Every day, one man must sit on the floor in some pillows next to a clothing rail in a spare room while his colleagues sit on a comfy bed with appropriate seating. For just £200 in total, we can get this man a chair and a table so that he can podcast in comfort and not need to stretch his groin every week. Please, please pledge as much as you can or as much as you really want to, to this poverty-stricken boy and help him afford a table and chair. Please go to http colon forward slash forward slash www.stiffupperlippod.com forward slash the cleft chinchilla appeal appeal. Thank you and please donate what you can to this unfortunate boy. Thank you. This has been a message brought to you by the Cleft Chinchilla Appeal Appeal Foundation. If you would like to know more, please visit our website. Thank you. Panthers Cardinals with five minutes on the clock. Yes, we, we can, we can speedrun this one. Yeah. Kyler Murray, did you see his yards per attempt on this game? I didn't, no. It is so low. Let me see if I can get the actual figures. He threw something like, I think he threw 20 passes for around 100 yards. And that's not 100, completion. 133 yards, I think he threw for. I think yeah, that's what one, of, oh. one of them's garbage time as well. It's it's very yeah. much a sort of what what we were so impressed with by the Cardinals in week one and two has become I don't know. It's just, I don't know what's happened. There's no there's no way to sort of say other than is is Kyler Murray going through a blip? Well, I just, do you know what I think it might be? I think teams have started to QB spy Kyler Murray and they don't have a run game because Kenyon no, Drake has been bad this year. And I, I feel like Ben is voicing opinions. I, no, no, I, I, you know, please, please continue because all I said was thank you, thank you, thank you. What frustrated me more than anything this offseason when talking about fantasy football were their Twitter accounts and the websites, the blog sites that said what an amazing, amazing running back Kenyon Drake is. He's not. He is not a great running back whatsoever. And nope. finally, it is being proven. So, sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, because he, he's, not, he's not hit the ground running. In fact... He's he's barely fucking like walking at this point with regards to how much yardage and 
how effective he even is. I had him in a fantasy team and I traded him away to uh, a guy who doesn't really know football very much, but he goes off of projected points. And I traded yeah. him for uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and I just want to say, Lewis, you've been robbed, mate. You've been fucking <laughs> robbed. <laughs> I don't know, because he, he certainly has... I think flattered to deceive already. I mean, I dis- yeah. I disagree that he's not a good running back because I think that under the right circumstances he should be a good running back. But I almost think that this this Kingsbury offense is designed to survive without a good running game. Mm. That's that's the thing I would say. Like the running game is the least important element of this scheme. The the running game is almost like to spell the QB. You know, just to. Whereas it just seems like Murray is throwing, making bad decisions, throwing bad passes, honestly. That's more than Kenyon Drake, sort of. I think it's, it is on Murray. Like, and, you know, many people predicted him to have an enormous leap in his second year. And through the first two games, we were like, oh, yeah, this guy's, this guy's taking the, maybe not the Lamar Jackson leap, but this guy is sort of taking his sophomore leap. And now it feels like he's really regressed the past two games. Surely you guys must agree. Yeah, I agree. I don't know whether or not, though, because in week three, um, Christian Kirk ended up going out. So they lost a player that Kyler Murray actually favours as a target. Uh, and DeAndre Hopkins, I think, has been a little bit banged up as well. He's been sort of missing practices and, and he's been in like limited practice in, in the weeks and stuff. And he's been almost questionable as it comes to game day. I don't know whether or not their wide receiver core is healthy, aside from old man Fitzgerald. Yeah, father time himself. Father, yeah. father hands. Um, ben, <laughs> one of one of yeah. our favourite stats on, on the pod is, I don't know if you've heard it, but uh, Larry Fitzgerald has more career tackles than he does drops wow that can't be right it's yeah. it's correct no 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 Larry no, Fitzgerald the wide receiver has dropped more uh, less passes than he has made tackles mm-hmm. that that's an astounding statistic yeah feather yeah. hands yeah I'm lost for words is he a first ballot hall of famer though of course of course he is if yeah. if if he if if Fitz isn't a hall the first ballot hall of famer then the hall of fame should just close up getting wide receivers in Okay. Yeah, fair point. It's a very fair point. Because of time, shall we shall we call this one here and then get on to Bears Colts? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's in fact, um I think Emma's gonna want to come in and talk about Bears Colts, so I shall I shall uh, set up a new meeting. Um we might be getting Sam back as well. Oh fantastic. I mean he's he's just in time to talk Rams Giants after after a couple more games, so yeah. perfect. Bless him, I'm sure he'll be chuffed. Yep. I certainly won't be because Two of the next three games are gash. Is is Emma coming in for Bears Colts or I shall I shall shout her through now. Okay. Emma, you're up. Hi Ben. Hello. Hi. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice hey. to meet you too. Hey um. Hey. I'd ask who you support, but I can I can see it on your show. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good team. I'd yeah, like to, I'd like to point out that I ranked you like ninth in our preseason power ranking and ed put us like put you 20th so i said 10th and then bumped you up immediately to fourth after week yeah oh yeah you're higher than that now but before the season started that's where we were at yeah i i I think that's fair enough i think a a fair few people probably felt that we were I, i i think over the last few years it seemed as though we've been in a perennial rebuilding mode but we're, we're getting there we're looking good yeah i uh, i predicted you to be in the super bowl so i'm hoping that that pays off because ed mocked me mercilessly uh pre-season <laughs> <laughs> oh good stuff i hope that comes true then yeah so am i just <laughs> here to ch- chat about the bears you are yeah um bears colts you just brought me in to hurt my soul <laughs> 
a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, I mixed emotions. I was happy that our defense held them to one touchdown and a bunch of field goals. I was less happy that the offense did nothing until the fourth quarter. No touchdowns. Nothing. I don't know if you heard it in the in the preview show, but Emma, have you listened to the preview show? No, not yet. Okay, good. Cause did you rinse me? Well, what <laughs> I did is I don't know if Ben can sort of vouch for me here. What I said is that Nick Foles has been a backup pretty much everywhere that he's been, and I don't get the hype that he's going to fix the Bears' offense, which has spluttered and sputtered and basically been yeah. the worst offense in the top half of the NFL for all of last season and almost yeah. all of this year. And top half is uh, kind at times. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> top t- top 25, we'll call it. Yeah. I mean, I never thought he was going to fix it. I liked that we had him to back up Mitch because Mitch is just god-awful. Just ass. Um, <laughs> just <straight up> ass. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like really, I'm like, oh, really happy to have him as a backup. I'm not thinking like he's going to be a franchise QB. Oh God, no. The I, worst, the worst yeah. thing is though for the Bears is is because you got out to that sort of three and start, you can't even really tank for Trevor. So, but I don't think that we're gonna. I don't think we necessarily need to because we like the way that the the Bears are structured. We don't need like Patrick Mahomes as much as everybody's like rinsed them for not picking him. We've got like we've got a strong enough defense that all we had to do was score twenty points. Like you don't need a top three. Like you don't need the first draft pick to get a quarterback that can get you twenty points. That's not. Um, so I don't. I don't even. I'm not even like holding out hope for some like ridiculously elite generational talent. I just need a guy that can consistently get down the field and get more points than our defense is able to like our defense is strong enough that we don't need like to do 35 point blowouts yeah solid solid well strong game manager i suppose mm. um yeah. like, which is kind of would expect from falls though it's yeah kind of that's what why want. i was so happy because i was like oh my god we've got a guy that's just like consistently all right <laughs> Yeah. What did you think about his performance then this weekend? Because I think he had he had one impressive drive, didn't he? Um, where he went five for six for 82 yards. But other yeah. than that, a little bit whelming? Yeah, a little bit underwhelming. I mean, like last last week, I, I was quite happy because I thought, oh, we had a couple of touchdowns disallowed, but Mitch wouldn't have even got there. So I was pretty mm. happy that we even were in with uh, in the argument. But this week yeah a little bit underwhelming i don't know if i'm hoping that some of that was because the colts defense was good yeah that's that's, my hope that's the point that i was going to sort of talk about the colts defense we have been quite bashful of the colts really pre-season and in the same way that we've been made to eat our words with the rams we've been made to eat our words with the colts defense which has been one of the better teams i think defensively in the nfl Um, yeah that's what i think yeah i think it's the best I think it's the best 14 points per game in the uh, the the travesty of a defensive landscape we've had through four weeks in well, the NFL. Yeah, very true. And fucking Xavier Rhodes with what mm. three picks now, two of them for six. Like Jesus mm. Christ. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm hoping that against we've got a pretty. 
our schedule's not that easy, but they're a really good defense. So I'm hoping that with other teams, if we can hold them down, we'll be able to score a bit more than 11. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, either way, it was dull. It was, uh, yeah, it was not I was an exciting say, game. It was. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Darnell Mooney looked good. Well, he, he sounds a bit like he should be some kind of old codger in a shack running kind of bootleg <laughs> liquor through the hills. <laughs> What's My name is Darnell Fisher. Going <laughs> <laughs> up to the Mooney Ranch, you know, but, I, but I thought he looked great. A couple bags of moonshine. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly. I kept thinking it when I was watching. <laughs> How much of kind of the Colts completely? Well, not completely, but dealing with Nick Foles very well. How much of that is, do you think, due to Frank Reich and him having? a lot of history I'm that is true lot. actually yeah Cause, yeah because he was hoping he a large amount <laughs> yeah he was, he was offensive coordinator for, for the eagles well well falls was was there wasn't he yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 so i mean we'll just have to see exactly kind of yeah could just uh, be that he knew exactly how to deal with them more than most but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's we, a bit hard to tell because it's like pardon have we mentioned philip rivers yet not yet, but Not yet. we'll we'll come Not on to it. Not while him. I've been here, but I've been here for like a minute and a half. Snap. So. <laughs> <laughs> Loving the nails, by the way. Ooh. Representing Ooh. Philip's old colours. Big up. Yeah, I have I have never I mean, it consistently surprises me how slow Philip Rivers is. Oh my god. I mean, he was already probably the slowest quarterback in the league 15 years ago. And now that his legs have sort of turned to ash and dust, like he is disintegrating on the field and Philip Rivers has now got the pace of well probably Darnell Mooney to be honest <laughs> old man old man Mooney on his ranch yeah I feel so like sorry for him sat next to the Philip Rivers it's like watching a man break down in front of your eyes it's <laughs> yeah even like Drew Brees or someone it's like watching Drew Brees run through treacle I, w- I would genuinely <laughs> like to have a race between Brady Brew- uh, Brees and Phil Rivers to see <laughs> Which which one of these fucking old haggity bastards is quicker? Yeah, like it would be like the uh, sports day dad race. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think Rich Eisen does the forty yard dash at the combine every year. I think he even he beat the three of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, that's my take. Uh, that it was not great, but I'm hoping that it was this very specific to this week. <laughs> And not indicative of us going forward. Well, you've got quite a tough schedule now, don't you? Yeah. It's sort of like you had your three six, easy games. Um, and Yeah, we've got like a, I think it's eight consecutive weeks of hell, I think is what it was. We've yeah. got like the Bucks, we've obviously got the Vikings and the Packers, we've got the Saints, the Rams. Oh, that's tough. Then there's a bunch Real. more that's also not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just all rammed together. So that's that's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> what? Who are you playing next week, Ben? Uh, we got the Vikings. Oh. Yeah. I mean, if you want to come, come back, back next, next week, week then. <laughs> <laughs> you'll just oh. like be a. You need to be sat in a chair and just slowly spin round to see us with like stroking a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Are you home? Are the Seahawks home or away? Uh, you know what? I can't remember. I feel like the Seahawks are at home because I remember Ed bitching about the schedule being like, "Oh, we're play, we're away at, the, at Seattle again," and then that there's no like there's no fans. So like, <laughs> I think you yeah. might be right. 
just double checking because I remember reading something about or I think he might have been watching Mike Florio or someone like that talking mm. about his Vikings as they like to be called um yeah, yeah it's in it's in Seattle so in but Seattle. The, yeah, yeah it's gonna oh. be interesting Let's face if you could see it right now it's getting less jolly <laughs> well to be fair if you're gonna be well, playing I, away I in Seattle the then we didn't play this Seattle is... in the season <laughs> It's felt like we've played them. Sorry. Yeah, what I was saying is I can't remember a time where... Certainly, it's going back a lot of years when Minnesota and Seattle haven't played each other yearly. It feels like it's always on the schedule. Yep. And you lose every time. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. It's kind of one of those those teams I think Seahawks fans feel the same about. I mean, it, it does feel as though it is a potential banana skin. To be fair, um, if we are looking to get to five and zero, I mean it's one game before the bye, of course. But um, I don't think it'll be a banana skin. I mean, I do appreciate your humility there and trying to make it feel better, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be a banana skin. I've had enough of you. Go back to bed. <laughs> you know, you've had enough. I'm enjoying this. Fair enough. I'll, I'll take what that. else is Ed Barber? Well, this is this has been the more enjoyable bit about Bears Colts because the game fucking wasn't. <laughs> Oh, it's it, yeah. It was just like both teams kind of just strongly defending the other, so they're not not really scoring much. You know what was worse is the fact that um, Rams Giants, which we'll come on to in a couple games time, was oh. equal was equally boring. And there were only three games in the window and the other one was on Sky and that was the only interesting one, Bill's Raiders. So like, we were basically stuck watching Red Zone and just sitting in like the midfield of both Soldier Mm. Field and... Well, that's it. Watching Red Zone with nobody in it. Yeah. (laughs) God, it was, yeah. Turgid is the word I'd call it. A turgid (laughs) performance. Good word. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's my favourite word. this was better than watching it because it sounds like watching it was hell. I think oh, it I'd was have... fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if uh, if you'd said that this was worse, I'd have been really insulted. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd have had to have personally gone on a 15-minute rant about how the Steelers were terrible for it to have been worse in my eyes than the actual <laughs> game itself. I wouldn't say they're terrible, Tom. I'd just say a little Oh, okay, ben, now it's now back. it's worse. <laughs> you can come back, Ben. How are we talking about how the Steelers are overrated and not the Bears? Because you're on the podcast, so obviously we're going to talk about the Steelers even on their bye week. It's going to come up. Sure, right. I hate the fact that we were on bye this week. It was awful. <laughs> I never want it to happen ever again. <laughs> and you were on a fantasy bye as well, so it's just double yeah. dull for you. No, That's it horrible. Was- it was fine because, well, I had like, I had so many other things that I could have been looking at that having on fantasy bye week this week was good because I had all of my Steelers players on COVID bye and I didn't have to play anything. And I also got to pick up Big Ben off of waivers for when Lamar Jackson's on bye. It's all oh. come up me. Blue. <laughs> wow. <laughs> coming up, Tom. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you continue now. Nice oh. to meet you, Ben. Oh, very nice to meet you too. <laughs> I'm very sure that we'll probably see you again very soon. As in, if you're around next week, then... I, uh, I, 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 that would be amazing. I hope so. I did get a text message from one of my work colleagues today saying, you're never being off on a Tuesday, though. I've had customer problem after customer problem to deal with. So. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is quite amusing, though, because I can imagine the, the store just on fire around him. And the guys <laughs> just put, 
<laughs> is it going to be on more fire than the Washington football team, though, as we move over to football team Ravens? Ooh, wow. Wow, 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 wow. No, no, I mean, Tom is on- king of the transitions. I'm brilliant yeah. at him. I love it. Yeah, very impressive. That's three or four times now that it's just been a seamless segue. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Dwayne Haskins sucks ass, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> just really fucking boring. Yeah, he is. He's a mixture of boring and disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you know, you know the type. Like when you go to like a kid's birthday party, like when you were a kid, and you were like, "What's the entertainment?" And they were like, "Oh, you know, we're just gonna." And you're like, "Oh, there's no past the path." <laughs> Ed's frozen, but I feel like we'll leave it there. I'm back now. He's back now. He's got t-shirts like, for everybody. Uh, along the the kids' party theme, it's like a Punch and Judy show without the laughs. It's just you know. <laughs> Oh, turgid again, I suppose, is another appropriate word for... Punch and Judy terrified me, though. Oh, no, I don't blame you. It is. It's a scary, (laughs) scary, scary proposition. (laughs) One thing that I do sort of want to... Well, a couple things about the WFT before we sort of move over to Ravens, because I don't think there's much to talk about Washington with. Josh Norman has had a career resurgence in Washington. What, four picks for him already, I think? Has he? Yeah, he had he had wow. two against the Eagles and then two here today as well. He's he's looking pretty good, you know. In in pass coverage, he's making plays. Josh Norman has been low key a high point for the for the WFT. Oh, he'll he'll get burnt soon enough. <laughs> well, probably yeah. Um, that, no, but that the uh, the defensive front as well is impressive. That front yeah, seven with or without Chase Young, um, you know. So there are some positives there for Washington. Terry McLaren as well, you know. Very mm-hmm. true. Very true. Yeah. Uh, now I think the thing that I want to say about Washington before yeah before we rightfully get to the Ravens is just once again you know Ron Rivera what a trooper. Well, that was the second thing. I was going to talk about. Um, did you? Ron Rivera left uh, at halftime after sort of leaning on a PR staffer. He needs to take some time off. I think he needs. Yeah. To, he just needs the chance to rest up because, like, get well soon, Ron Rivera. But being the coach of this bum franchise is not helping. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So yeah, hopefully he gets all the help that he sort of needs. I think he's just knackered from chemo. And it, to be fair, it, it makes perfect sense that he would be. So get well soon, Ron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. How um how close do we think Dwayne Haskins is to getting cut? Oh, not caught. Far away. Probably like traded. Benched. Really? Well, benched. benched. Well, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know why I said cut. Kyle Allen, you know, at the time of reporting, Dwayne Haskins is still supposed to be the starter, but... There's a reason they brought they've, in Kyle Allen. Yeah, they've yeah. said, yeah, didn't, I don't know if it was Ron, but weren't they saying that, you know, Dwayne Haskins as a starter wasn't kind of set in stone, Yeah, at least in yeah. the coming weeks, yeah. I heard that too somewhere. I'm not I'm not sure where it was, but I, I definitely heard that. I suppose, you know, Alex Smith as well, whether there's, you know, we don't really know his status at the minute. I mean, he's on the active roster, isn't he? But who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The comeback player of the year, Alex Smith. Was it Dwayne yeah. Haskins who, when he first sort of arrived and he wasn't he wasn't playing the first few weeks for Washington uh, under Jay Gruden. It was said that he didn't know the playbook and he wasn't adapting to the NFL well. That's right, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he was already sort of coming into the league and not pulling up any roses like without playing games. And now he's playing games and he's looking, oh, 
<laughs> rough. <laughs> and then because the, the, there was that thing about him not knowing the playbook, and then I cried. It was his first career win, and he was. Um, did you guys see this when it happened at the time? He was he was unable to take the final kneel down because he was taking <laughs> selfies with fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a very genuine possibility that we see Dwayne Haskins go the way of the Rosen. Yeah, I, I, it's Jamarcus Russell. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting comp. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think that you know he did, all the talk out of Washington during the off season from Rivera and the rest of them was that Haskins was starting to pick up the playbook and he's their guy, but it's just fallen down by the wayside through through four weeks and he, he just doesn't seem ready I mean he's the O-line's not great let's be honest they've not got much of a run game and, and, and Haskins hasn't got many weapons either outside of McLaren but mm. yeah so let's be fair to him but but nevertheless he, he doesn't really look like a competent NFL quarterback well Antonio Gibson when you just going back to the run game Antonio Gibson had had a very good day actually to be fair for, for the young guy yeah. it's the first time that he's had a good game and I know this because I've had him on my uh, NFL fantasy team for yeah. the entire year and I benched <laughs> him again this week and he got 22 points Miles Sanders picked up nine so uh, thanks Washington <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. The bottom Snyder. of my heart. Thank you, Dan Snyder. You wanker. <laughs> um, oh, Ravens. Yeah. I don't know whether anyone's. Excuse me. I don't know whether anyone's mentioned this, but Lamar Jackson's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you might sort of you might be sticking your neck out on the line a little bit. Has though. that has that been covered already? Yeah, I think so. Maybe <laughs> we. There was a message no. that you said in the in the group chat about Lamar Jackson's passing motion is stuff of art. It is the laziest. It is like he is the Berbatov of the NFL, isn't he? Just in that. <laughs> just he's playing the game on another planet and another league to everyone else yeah and we sort of through three weeks we'd not really seen Lamar Jackson go back to his sort of rush uh well rushing game really but this game he went for a 50 yard touchdown that's his longest rushing touchdown in the uh in the NFL by the way I thought mm-hmm. that he'd blown one off for bigger but no only only 50 but it was a it was a great run including a sort of devastating stiff arm as well and a guy that really should have been making the tackle. But, you know. he You, you look at Lamar Jackson, right? And it, it is his passing motion. I'm sorry to just go back to this, but have you seen... <laughs> Have you seen a QB with? I mean, I'm I'm specifically asking Ben now. Have you seen a QB with a more relaxed throwing motion? No, I to, to be honest, it's not something that I've given much thought to up to this point. But I'll uh, <laughs> next week I'll, I'll be making the. Uh, I think it makes for a fantastic piece for the site. Actually, will <laughs> I might have to look into it? <laughs> yeah, it's. And then, I mean, the cast around him as well, the, the team that Baltimore have assembled, we, it feels like we talk about the same things with Baltimore every week, even when they lose. The team they've assembled, the coaching staff they've assembled, yeah. if, it was, if it wasn't for the rise of the Chiefs, we'd be talking about this team in like hushed tones, wouldn't we, really? Yeah. The thing about this game was, um, I know obviously they were playing a, a lesser opposition in, in terms of the defense, but Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown, who in the week three game against the Chiefs were very much drop heavy and very much responsible for Lamar Jackson's sort of lacking passing numbers, um, had a had a big pair of games today well, in this game. Mark Andrews with a just a, a really lazy sort of run across the across the field and Washington just never picked it up and a, a dime of a pass and just a nice catch it was just 
It was just fundamentally good offense from a fundamentally good team. They get everything right on the basic level, and that's that's the way that you win games. You don't you don't win games with the fancy shit. You win games by doing the basics as well as you possibly can. And, and it was it was yeah absolutely getting getting Hollywood Brown back involved after the week three, as you say. I think that that's absolute key to moving forward and being able to beat those defenses and those contenders that they're going to cup up come up against as we, we progress through the season. I think that's absolutely bang on. Mm. I could see Ed sort of slightly disapproving with me saying that that's how you win games by doing the basics right, but what, what are you <laughs> going to say? Well, I mean, <laughs> who told who told Bruce Herrians that? <laughs> yeah, like, but Bruce Herrians uh, doesn't win games. <laughs> he doesn't, the, the big games. No, that's true. The big games, he doesn't. I guess it's true. The fundaments are very, very important, and I will see to the point. Yes. Well, the other guy in my head was Cal Shanahan, and then I was like, wait. <laughs> Someone else who doesn't do very well when the, when the chips are down. Yeah, exactly, which we'll come on to very, very shortly. But how much do we have to say about Rams-Giants the game, and how much do we have to say about Rams-Giants the fight? Because... For a prime time spectacle, <laughs> you'd be you'd be putting it on box office. You wouldn't be putting it on fucking Fox NFL. That's for sure. Yeah, I was I was kind of pleasantly surprised by the the Giants defensively. I thought they yeah. looked yeah far more stout than they have done. You know, stout has been used for the three for three <laughs> times already. Well, how no no the 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 Rams were inept. It had nothing to do with the Giants' defense. Yeah, I, I agree. They, with that. The, the offense was was putrid but i was pleasantly surprised do you i thought it was going to be an absolute riot do you remember that video that was sort of circulated around the internet a few years ago that was the like captain kirk fight against the sort of um the like lizard creature <laughs> like that's what this game was it was two teams that were totally toothless on the day oh God. yeah yeah failing yeah, the, to land the... punches on each other over and over ed what's your start about <laughs> daniel jones oh yeah he's um I think since he's entered the league, he's fumbled almost double the amount of any other quarterback. Oh, no, not not that one. I thought that you were going to bust us out with his performance just today, but... Oh, yeah, well, he, he was he was the sub five, five yards per attempt, which yeah. is another sign of great ineptitude, Sam. I think at the beginning of the second half, he'd had zero net passing yards. <laughs> yes, I saw that. Yeah, that's yep. incredible. So... I, I, still, I still believe in the guy. I think he's <laughs> all you've I got left is blind by, hope. I think he's being failed by a team and an organization. <laughs> I love that. What a PR driven quote that is. <laughs> <laughs> Sam is genuinely our PR man, even though he doesn't do any of the socials. Yeah. Just a spin guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gives but us the, all of our the, tasty licks. The offense is just completely hopelessly lost. Kind of obviously it what it did kind of lead with Saquon and he was the main kind of well the only arrow in the quiver to a degree and now it just seems yeah lost there's no direction the Giants yeah where's that been so tall no I mean, where's this big uh, Darius Slayton breakout as well because he did look quite impressive last season but he's just seemed to fade into obscurity mm. yeah well it's it's just a it's a, a horrible chain reaction of yeah. Kind of Jones underperforming even behind a terrible O line yeah. and not being able to to make catches that he should and you know the whole team just gets into a, a, a funk that I don't know who they'll manage to shift anytime soon. 
you remember pre-season yeah. when when uh, Joe Judge was making all of his like press conferences and all of his like team huddles and everyone was like, oh my god, I want to run through walls for Joe Judge. It looks like <laughs> the team aren't even ready to fucking like fight a chicken at this point for Joe Judge. <laughs> what is I've going got, on with the New York Giants? I've got another stat for you, Sam, if you want to hear it. Go on, please. Sure. OBJ has scored more points this season than the Giants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Molly, can you? In can fact, you piss OJ, off, Beckham, this game scored as many points as the Giants all year. No. OBJ scored three <laughs> touchdowns. The Giants have only scored three touchdowns. I wow. mean, touchdowns, maybe. Point. I suppose, but OBJ. Yeah, but OBJ is not the kicker. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> In fact, he could be the kicker in the Giants and still get a game. <laughs> How dare you have nondescript white number 5-2? It'll, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, even when Saquon kind of comes back, which is, what, five, a minimum, probably like five or six weeks away. Well, yeah, Saquon's no, done. It's an, Saquon's it's done. Don't he's out for the year. I can't remember. Technically, oh, as, a, as a minimum... You're right, but as a maximum, he's out for the year. Yeah, why? why I have, yeah, I mean, I guess you know there won't be any point trying to you know there would they would gain nothing from trying to kind of hurry him back in as soon as they can to you know maybe be competitive in some more games that they lose. Yeah, just just go through to next year and try and just take what you can in the draft and build what you can from the O line. I guess I don't know. Yeah, grasping well, straws. I mean, O-line's a good point, actually, because it feels, and I'm, I'm sorry to sort of pile the shit on the Giants, but it feels like of the four tackles taken in the first round of the draft, it feels like three of them have bedded in really well, and then Andrew Thomas has looked lost. Yeah, because even like, I mean, Tristan Wirfs has been ridiculously good for the Bucks, and then mm-hmm. you look at Andrew Thomas, who was picked, like, what, three picks after? And, ugh. I think, I, I'm surprised at this as well, because... I remember a couple of years ago, I think Andrew Thomas was seen as the premier pass protect in the draft. Um, And then it was only really kind of six to eight months in the run up to the draft early in this year that that people like Beckton, Wills, Werfs, um, even Wilson as well, who I can't remember who drafted Wilson now, but it was only... Was in Miami, yeah. So it was only yeah. in in the few months in the run up to the draft that you know the the media started to kind of become down on Thomas. So actually, I was quite excited for the Giants, um, and I thought they had drafted the best tackle in the draft. But up to this point, you know, he's not really proven his worth as one of Gettleman's hog mollies that he likes. Um, you never know; he might might come good. <laughs> um, might come good. I love that expression. Does it sound right in like a British accent? (laughs) (laughs) You're old molly. (laughs) (laughs) We've got six minutes left of the call. We've got about six minutes worth of content about Giants Rams because we've not even talked about the main talking point. Um, We can do a quick rundown. So, Ed, you seem to know the story more than any of us. What, What happened? So there were various, let's call it a duel in the game between Golden Tate and Jalen Ramsey. And then there were sort of fisticuffs after the game going into the locker room. Jalen Ramsey was reportedly waiting outside the locker room to have another crack at Golden Tate. And yeah, it's, it transpired that it's it's like a family affair. Like I don't know. I think I best, I'm so surprised by that. Well, I, I'm not surprised by it because, frankly, we knew Jalen Ramsey was an absolute cock. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's surprising the fact that... Do you know the story, Ben? 
No, I don't. I'm, I'm, but it sounds eerily similar to something that happened with Golden Tate in Seattle. So I'm, I'm intrigued to hear the rest. Well, but, but, um, it's not. <laughs> um, oh. So Golden Tate, Golden Tate's sister was dating Jalen Ramsey for a while, and Jalen well, Ramsey. Well, they do has, have several children together. Yes, yes, and Jalen Ramsey left her for who is described in the media as a Las Vegas dancer when she was eight months pregnant. Right. Okay. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so. There was there was violence after the game betwixt the two. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's not, it's it, it was more. Don't get me wrong. The while we don't condone violence on the podcast, it was far more exciting than the game. Oh god! Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Can we squeeze Raiders Bills into four minutes, or do we need another call? Um, well, how much? I mean, we're probably going to need another call anyway because there's there's plenty to talk about. There is. There's still four more games left. Oh, yeah. Jesus. We've been, we've Sam, been taking our time. Been I've only been here for like four games and it's exhausting already. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tell you what, we, we can we can sort of stuff Raiders' bills into this game because there's very little that needs to be said. Yeah, Josh Allen is... Well, what the fuck's happened to him in the past off-season <laughs> to go from like kind of promising but like weirdly bad mechanics for a guy with a ridiculously good arm and then... All that's happened is he's learned how to throw and do it accurately and consistently. And now he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Like the mm-hmm. Bills, I, I, say, I am saying they are the third best AFC team. And we've been high on the Bills defensively for ages, but it's not the Bills defense that's the, their strength right now. They're actually slightly mediocre on defense in comparison, but yeah. that offense is ridiculous. You put Stefan Diggs into that team and all of a sudden the, they are lighting teams up left, right and center. Like it's the fucking nobody's business. Mm-hmm. It's it, it almost Josh yeah Josh Allen's rise has been meteoric. It's the kind of thing where when they look back, it'll be sort of like delivered in montage of him like throwing thousands of balls and like how how yeah it, you're absolutely right. It's like he was a sort of certainly a middle of the road passer with good legs, and now he's a good passer with good legs. Like it, I don't I don't understand because he's never been this accurate through four games in his entire career. Even at college, he was like famously wayward with Wyoming. So like it's it's a crazy thing to see Josh Allen successful. Yeah, that's that's what that's what I want to say. Yeah, it's it's just it's just weird. Just weird to see Josh Allen playing well. I think the crazy thing is to think as well that he took over from all-time great Nathan Peterman. Mm-hmm. Tom's, <laughs> Tom's primed for a resurgence. <laughs> I had to get that one in there after talking about him earlier. You're right, Wyoming, throughout high school, Wyoming, uh, college, wherever he was, I think he's always been thrust onto the field as, you know, athletically the most gifted quarterback, or well, player, should I say, um, on the field. So I think he's just been asked, he's been thrown in at the deep end and asked to just do stuff. Um, and that is what happened after obviously coming in from for, for Peterman initially. And he wasn't quite ready. He was raw. Um, yeah. And it's the same situation when you see a certain, other, a certain other quarterback over in Kansas. I mean, he sat his first season, didn't he? He was seen as raw. Lots of, what, lots of teams passed on him for the same kind of reasons. But now I think what we're just seeing is just the, you know, the, the maturation of Josh Allen in, in the way that the Bills kind of you know, saw him um, as, a, as a raw prospect. So I think it's... Yeah, I think it's great. Great pick. Yep. From the Raiders side of it, a pretty off day. Josh Jacobs was held very little. Derek Carr didn't get anything going, but I don't like Derek Carr anyway. It just yeah. very average John, on, John on every side of the ball. 
John Gruden didn't book his ideas up and bring on Peterman from the bench. Yeah. <laughs> it was calling out for it. The Peterman redemption game, it was there and ready and he fucking blew it and now the Raiders lost. So that's all I'm saying. Put Peterman in the game, you're going to get Peterman results. Um, what else? What, what is wrong with John Gruden as well? I mean, he's, he's just been fined 100000 for not wearing his mask properly. He then goes and flaunts it again, you know, he's just basically poking the NFL in the eye at this point, isn't it? Isn't he? Um, you know, he's going to be fined again for his, his behaviour, not wearing a mask. I mean, he's he's supposed to be an example. He's going to end up coaching, well, not coaching from the sidelines in the next few games at this rate. It's a well-known fact that coronavirus can't get through skin that leathery. He does have, I don't know, he does have skin like an old leathery armchair, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> John Gruden. With the, with the complexion of a ham hog. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. It looks like he spent every day at the beach. And but Sean McVay is morphing into John Gruden. He's like a John Gruden with modern ideas. <laughs> no, he's he's the light side John Gruden. They both have the same choice of apparel as well with the headgear. He's genuinely the Luke to John Gruden's Darth Vader playing in the Death Star, whereas Sophie is like the fucking Millennium Falcon. Mm. <laughs> oh, Sam has brought us with a, a glorious a glorious name, which actually begs a question of you, Ben. Yeah. What, what, you're, you're a draft Nick, famously. What, oh, was, what was your sort of, um, your draft notes on Eric Dungy coming out of college? Syracuse QB. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I can honestly say I did not have extensive notes about Eric Dungy. Why? What's, what's... <laughs> so Eric Dungy was was one of the Giants' like many nondescript white men at the beginning of preseason last year when we started okay. this pod, and and he's just become like our own cult hero. Uh, and he showed up in the XFL last year and then without playing a game even though he got his big break because Landry Jones was injured and he was going to be starter he then quit the league because of personal reasons and then the league folded when he joined again so (laughs) we've literally never seen him play a game you forget the point where when the Giants realised that like he was nothing they tried to convert him to a tight end and then cut him yeah and then he ended up in Cleveland he he ended up in Cleveland and then ended up being cut a day after joining the Browns oh no he's he's an athletic guy (laughs) (laughs) some of his some of his some of his Syracuse tapes are (sighs) boy's got legs do you know who replaced Eric Dungy, by the way? Um, it was, oh, it's some Italian-American name like Vito or Vic It's, it's or Tommy DeVito. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Which is just brilliant. Tommy DeVito is like... There we go. Tommy DeVito is the wrestler that never was. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway, shall we get, uh, get on with 49ers-Eagles Sunday night game? The Injury Bowl. The Injury Bowl. It's not a surprise that both of these teams have played on MetLife this year. No, it's not. I've, we've pointed out <laughs> Adam Gase is ruining franchises. With his fucking black magic. <laughs> 49ers-Eagles then. So George Kittle was the only guy getting any targets when Nick Mullins was in the game. I was surprised by Nick Mullins' sort of late-end passing, to be honest. This game looked like an injury bowl. There were sort of players that I'd never seen playing in the NFL making catches for the Eagles. Like uh, Richard Rodgers made three consecutive catches and I'd never heard of who the fuck he was. Travis Fulger. Uh, Travis Fulger. Yeah, 
the fucking wide receiver who made the absolutely gorgeous play from Carson Wentz, who then immediately was taken out of the game. Uh, and, and then there was a, um, there was a, they had an edge rusher as well who I'd never heard of called like, is it Hassan Ridgewell? Hassan Ridgewell. There was uh, Alex Simmons who'd only played two snaps in the NFL, but made a pick six. So, <laughs> you know, the Eagles were down to basically nothing. Uh, and the 49ers couldn't really capitalize despite having actually a fair amount of their starters still playing. Um, yeah. Definitely second season syndrome regarding sort of after a Super Bowl loss, you have that hangover, don't you, really? And that's possibly what's happening with the Niners. Well, and then they chose to get rid of Buckner as well, of course. I mean, yeah, and then getting Javon Kinlaw. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Obviously, Kinlaw's a rookie, but I mean, DeForest Buckner, I think, is grading out at one of the top five overall defensive players so far for the Colts. So it's just bizarre. I mean, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, um, and D Ford. D Ford's never truly set the world alight, other than flashing in certain games. But you know, it's a recipe recipe for disaster. I mean, you know that that supposedly famed running game as well didn't really get going, other than when it was certain Shanahan trick plays. Mm. Um, we could have all predicted Kittle going up against those Eagles linebackers. You know, he was going to abuse them, and he did. But after, other than that point, the, the Niners didn't really have any other answer. I mean, Brandon Ayuk obviously looked like a, you know, a Russian ballerina performing Nutcracker or something like that. You oh. know, but other than that, I, there was nothing really from the Niners. So it truly is a, a hangover, like you say. I'm going to nickname him Brandon Ayuk after that, because it yeah. clearly was an Ayuk. That's, That's what sure. he's going for. He deserves a better than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. He also yeah, deserves I mean, better than two and two. It was a filthy hurdle, <laughs> it's true. But like, yeah, again, this game was, it was just one of those nondescript games that happens when teams get injured. I mean, it wasn't, neither team were anywhere near their best. No. And I've got to be honest, I have quite a bit of egg on my face right now. And this uh, this isn't going to go in the final edit, I'm afraid. But you know the um, what I've been writing for Gridiron Extra is like a, it's a... I've literally made a team of all of the best undrafted players. And the quarterback that I went for over Case Keenum was Nick Mullins. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he's awesome. literally just shot himself. Well, he, pitch, got, he? he got benched for CJ Bethard. Um, yeah. He's Which, only famous because he's someone's son. Yeah, like, you don't you don't want to be benched for CJ Bethard. I there's there's a project that I don't think you know about yet, Ben. Um, yeah. Which is we've decided to well I've decided to create the Dalton scale. So I've gone back <laughs> all the way back to 2000. I'm like I'm still currently right like doing it all and yeah. with a slightly tweaked QBR grading every quarterback's most average performance to see where. Andy Dalton sits in terms of best potential season and most average season and yeah, see whether or not he falls already. in that middle. And yeah, I only heard of CJ Bethard because when I got back to like 2013, I saw it, I saw that he'd played some games and qualified. So <laughs> CJ Bethard is on this list. This is the, I swore, I swore blind that Ryan Mallett didn't exist. Yeah, I had no yeah, idea like, that Ryan Mallett, uh, I only know of Christian Hackenberg because of how bad he was. Um, <laughs> sadly, Nathan Peterman doesn't qualify because he never played enough games to make the list. <laughs> so We do have, Matt, a, we have a season of Manziel, yeah. Yeah, we've got a season of Manziel where he, where he makes it. I think Josh Rosen made the list and is the worst quarterback out of everyone so far. Oh, even worse than Mallett? Yeah, surprisingly, because Ryan Mallett had a couple of games that were graded higher than anything that Josh Rosen did in the league and it bumped up his average. Well, Ma- Mallet, Mallet was very, very highly regarded at one point. 
um, in the draft process, I remember. Yeah. Really, really, you know, excellent grades he was coming out with, but he was just had so many off the field red flags, you know, like substance abuse, you know, not really having a passion for the game. And of course that did unfortunately pan out to be the case, but um, yeah, he could have, he could have been something. Mallet. Yeah. But um, Whereas, I mean, yeah, I'll be, yeah. I just forgot him like instantly. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing. You, I mean, what time? What what age or sort of like what year did you start following NFL properly? So I, it's it's difficult really for me to give you an exact kind of age or date or year or anything because there's pictures of me kind of yay high in, and I hate to admit this. And Tom, I think I may have told you this when we first met, but yeah. um, Patriots gear. Yeah. You did. So the, re- the reason for this, though, you've got to give me a little bit of a break on this. My, my uncle lives in Boston and he's been a uh, season ticket holder in Foxborough since 1994. So as a result of that, obviously, when I'm growing up, I'm three, four, five, six years old. Of course, that's what you're going to get sent. But when I actually started to kind of develop my own, well, my own, my own line of thought, um, I wanted to support somebody who didn't appear to be the Manchester United or whatever analogy you want to create of the NFL. So um, Seattle was kind of where I finished up probably 2008, nine, something like that. It was when we were kind of, we'd had a, I think we'd had a four and 12 season and then we had a couple of seven and nine seasons. I remember in particular the seven and nine season where we made the playoffs, the first team to make the playoffs with a losing record. And then the the, uh, beast quake happened in New Orleans. So I would say that's when I really, really, really started switching on. And of course, then the, the whole mentality and the whole culture that Pete Carroll's and John Schneider, of course, has instilled, you know, I was absolutely hooked from that point. So then of course, Fast forward to 2014 and obviously the Pat Seahawks Super Bowl and uh, my uncle will never let me live that one down. So <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, as soon as you mentioned that you'd been, see- well, had pictures of you in Pat's gear, I was like, oh, we could potentially yeah, yeah. fish that one out for <laughs> a potential post Seahawks Pat Super Bowl. Uh, that would be worse than leaking any nudes, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> But this is the thing, though, because you're so you were there pre Wilson, then so you understand what quarterback purgatory is, right? Yeah, and I obviously, I mean, as I have a very, very solid understanding of quarterback purgatory as a Vikings fan, but yeah. like this is what I say to Tom all the time I'd say for the duration of Tom's fandom of the Steelers, he's had to suffer through he well, basically, he's had Big Ben and then more recently Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodgins, yeah, like the, that year where Ben was here and and Oh my god! Last year was genuinely like one of one of the most painful experiences because for once we had finally put together this this absolutely ridiculous defense that kept us in games, and then we had Mason Rudolph throwing uh, just lazy passes or Duck Hodges, yeah. the fucking duck caller who couldn't throw it twenty yards. So literally, throw- sorry, what's that? No, no, I just said literally throwing ducks. Yeah, yeah. literally yeah. throwing up ducks for everyone. So it was, it, it's been a joy this year to have Ben back, let me tell you. Yeah. Did you know you Ben? Were absolutely insufferable last year, Tom. I was. Um, <laughs> did you know that uh, my first game watching the NFL, because I was quite a newbie, really, was yeah. the Bronco Seahawks Super Bowl? Oh, really? My first wow. NFL game that I ever watched. But I'd had like Madden games and, and NFL 2K3 like throughout childhood and stuff. So like, I could yeah, always yeah. got the fascination, but I'd never actually sat down and watched it because I didn't know where and we didn't have Sky and stuff. So uh, like oh. the first game that I ended up watching when we finally got Sky was Broncos Seahawks. And I actually, I when I was 
when I was trying to decide on a team, because yeah. I had like so many franchise modes with the Steelers and I I understood like Pittsburgh and Sheffield and whatnot. I went with yeah. Steelers, but like when I was first watching my first game, I was like, I'm gonna root for the Seahawks for this game, not knowing hey. anything about either team. And yeah. yeah, I was I was I enjoyed it and that's why I'm here doing this now. Nice. Brilliant. Brilliant. So I, I love it. I- got a second link to that 2013 Super Bowl and it wasn't me that brought it up so yeah (laughs) (laughs) um have you ever sort of like been to been to Seattle to see a game or like seeing them over here or like anything like that so no I've not been to Seattle yet um the two or three or four times I've been to the US I've always been across the east coast to see my uncle so um recent years I've not well, I've not been in a financial position really to afford it, but of course I want to. I did I did see Seattle and Raiders at Wembley a couple of years ago. Um, right. So that, that was great. Yeah, it felt a bit like a Seahawks home game, to be fair. Um, there are a lot of UK fans are Seahawks fans, aren't there? Yeah. I think it's probably the Super Bowl, to be honest with you. It, it is, yeah. What's frustrating is the average casual fan that I speak to, you know, when you start talking about who you support, you know, everybody naturally thinks, oh, you know, you're a bit of a bandwagon fan. And, and you know what? That's all right if people think that because it's still great coverage for the NFL and, of course, the Seahawks across here in the UK. Um, But at the same time, no, like you say, quarterback purgatory. I went through the Tavares Jackson years, you know, so. Oh, yeah, (laughs) that's a point, yeah. I I almost wore um, today. I just thought it would look a bit too kind of NFL hipstery if I did it, though. I almost wore my Matt Hasselbeck uh, away jersey. (laughs) Next time, bring on the Hasselbeck. Please bring on the Hasselbeck. I'll bring out the Hass, yeah. And I'll have a webcam as well, so I can wear my uh, Big Ben away jersey, so then it works. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not talking about that Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Shall we yeah. uh, shall we wrap up the final three game? Or yes, three let's game? do it. We both Monday have. nights in the same way that we have had a full on postponement. We actually got a uh, a slight postponement that we didn't get to talk about in our preview show because we recorded it too bloody early. So Cam Newton contracted the coronavirus, and uh, this game was meant to be played on on Sunday at well one p.m. Eastern, uh, six p.m. GN, well BST. But we actually ended up with this one being flexed to the Monday night game, and uh, let me tell you. Tony Romo fits Monday nights. Oh, yeah. Fucking Romo. Yeah. Get him on Monday night permanently. Um, d- but both yeah. of these games I've got commentary points for, but this one specifically, Tony Romo. I think oh, if he's... there was some way to clone him and have him do all 16. Yeah, I, my dream booth is Kevin Harlan and then Tony Romo oh. doing the pun, like the fucking analysis. Because, oh, oh my God, that is, I get goosebumps whenever I think about basically every good Kevin Harlan call. I mean, what I will, sorry, just to go back to the reasons we like teams. One of the key reasons I love the Vikings is because I love Paul Allen. Yeah. So I would sort of probably, I, I, I would stick Paul Allen in there somehow. But yeah, <laughs> Harlan and Romo would make an incredible duo. Yeah. Yeah, from a game perspective... I, I didn't get as much joy out of seeing Brian Hoyer under centre for the Patriots as I probably would have liked. And that's because it got delayed <laughs> by three weeks. So I had to enjoy Cam Newton being really fun and making me like the Patriots as a team again. When in reality, I wanted to hate them and have Brian Hoyer throw in like four picks a game, like what we got here. Give me uh, more he is, of this. He's cooked, isn't he, Brian Hoyer? Yeah, he's fucked. I mean, if you're losing to the Dolphins when they're trying to tank, then you shouldn't be starting for a Bill Belichick team, let's be real. No, it was such an uncharacteristic performance, wasn't it, from the Pats? I mean, Billy, 
I'm struggling with my pronunciation today. <laughs> Belichick's going to be furious. You know, the, the ter- four turnovers, like you say, you know, they were just allowing kind of the, the Chiefs to make adjustments. I mean, they absolutely held them through three quarters, but when, when push came to shove, there were far too many mistakes from the Pats. Casey ended up moving on, you know, happy days. But I mean, getting back to Hoyer, that sack that he took to oh, end the first. God. I thought Bill Belichick was going to fucking have its head explode. He was <laughs> furious. Have you seen it? Ed? Yes, yeah. I have, yeah. Yeah, God. Yeah, just anything but take the sack, anything but take the sack. And at that point, it was still only 6-3, wasn't it? So they would have gone into the half-tide. Who knows? Who well, knows, but... you've got Nick Falk as a kicker, so you never know. Could have ended up missing <laughs> it. He does tend to miss quite a lot of kicks. But yeah, I'd... and then Julian Edelman is is my sort of standout player for a guy who had a terrible day. Because I know, I know he had Brian Hoyer and I know that he had... Jared Stidham came in for the fourth quarter, really, didn't they? Julian Edelman had more drops in this game than I think any wide receiver I can remember in recent history. He was the Patriots' biggest downfall. Well, I mean, there was the gift of a pick six. Well, God, yeah. 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 So, yeah, Edelman hurt the Patriots more than anyone else. I, to be fair, Devin McCourty could have had two picks on his own as well to try and at least haul this game back in Patriots' favour. And it was just fundamentals weren't being executed and Bill Belichick looked angry. After yeah, him. JC Jackson missed one as well. On yeah, a deep he did, yeah. Ball. He missed one, went through his hands and was almost caught by Tyreek Hill. Um, yeah. So yeah, fundamentals, mistakes, that's what it came down to, really. And uh, KC blew it open in the fourth. Uh, you can't, there's no way to contain Kansas for a whole game. No. They're, no. They're just, you just can't do it. It's it's like they they have this wonderful ability to sort of like change their play style through the heart. But it's not, it's not unlike a Belichick inside, you know, if they come sort of ill adapted to face a team, then they will just, Oh, hold on. Nicole Hardman's not got the ball very much. Let's give it I'm on him on a jet sweep. I'm sure it'll be fine. And then like, I'm not sure if it's the right of passing like pass catchers or that, or the sort of the scheming from Reed, but like whatever it is, it there might be all, it might, it might genuinely be that it's a combination of everything. Cause Andy Reed is possibly one of the greatest offensive minds in NFL history in terms of a head coach. He is, in terms of what he can come up with and create that actually works, it's not like coming up with batshit plays for the sake of it. It's like coming up with plays that will actually put a defense on the fucking rocks. Andy Reid is the king at that. Well, and then, of course, the Eric Bieniemy as well. So yeah. two offensive lines there studying the game as it goes along, making adjustments on the fly. I mean, it's a recipe for, you know, absolute domination for, for lesser teams or against lesser teams, should I say. So, yeah, yeah. real, real impressive. Mm. Which is which is crazy to think because for the first three quarters I was like this is kind of poor from Casey and then they just have this like this ability to just suddenly you you look away and you look back and you're like oh they've scored fourteen points well that's what yeah. how it was in the Super Bowl they were very yeah. sort of uneasy and and shaky and then all of a sudden out of, out of nowhere in the fourth quarter they rack it up on on the 49ers and they just can't keep up with it and that's mm-hmm. that's the real thing like you can contain them for so long but you can't hold them to nothing. And it's very rare that you can. And that's why I was actually going back to the Chargers. I I thought that they had a chance to beat the Bucks because of the fact that they held the Chiefs for almost five quarters in reality. Does anyone have anything else to add or should we move over to Packers Falcons and wrap this shit up? It's no, I think... for a long last time now. Yeah. Has, yeah. So Packers Falcons. Uh, uh, the Falcons looked they didn't look like a team that was at all in this game i know that all throughout this season they've like kept games well they've been in front in two of them 
and should have won. But this game was them looking terrible. And if Dan Quinn wasn't the next man out, I I I would be very there's there's three guys that I've maintained should have gone preseason and somehow Bill Bill O'Brien's ended up being fired before any of them. Yeah, I don't think we saw that one coming, but I think I think the writing's on the wall for Dan Quinn now. Yeah. In a, that that was a game where even Matt Ryan couldn't perform miracles on his own. No. Uh, and I don't think it helped that Julio was was here. In uh, Calvin Ridley, I think, was also banged up. He he got locked to absolutely nothing by Jair yeah. Alexander, which is probably scary for the Packers because, well, sorry, scary for everyone else as a as a regard of the Packers because the Packers didn't have uh, Devontae Adams, didn't have uh, Alan Lazard, so. Their pass catching options have been slowly starting to drop away, and yet Aaron Rodgers finds himself with four four touchdowns, two hundred and eighty yards or whatever. I know Dan Quinn likes a soft zone, and it's it's easy yes. for a good passer to pick apart. But Aaron Rodgers looks a whole new man, and he's he's very close to that twenty eleven season, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's great news for NFC North. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, well, I mean, he sliced and diced, didn't he, last last night? He, obviously, I mean, the Falcons did have what AJ Terrell out, Kazi went out, Keanu Neal was already out, so you know that has to be said. But nevertheless, I don't think it would have made any difference. I mean, Big Bob Tonyan, what a performance from him! He, he sounds like he could be Darnell Mooney's mate, actually. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, he yeah, ninety eight yards and three touchdowns. I think he has. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, what, whatever crew Rogers has, he just seems to be able to to find them. It's you know, it really is incredible. Yeah, um, I actually, uh, sorry, Tom, to to step on the point, but I think it's an interesting point Ben made about um, Atlanta's injuries. More than any other team for me, I think Atlanta. That you can't make the excuse of injuries anymore no. because they've had enough time to you know develop depth. And yet yeah. they are so... It, all, all you need to see is they are getting scrubs on the O-line. They are getting scrubs in the secondary because they've got their established starters and then an, an enormous gulf. Well, it's not just that, but even the established starters last night looked really poor. Dion Jones was was behind by about five steps on every play in coverage. And it it just seems like... Not only has Dan Quinn lost the dressing room, as as so to speak, but it just... The entire team is devoid of any option or any idea. You can get behind, you can get by with with injuries. You can get by with sort of bringing the next man up, so to speak. But you can't get by with no idea or semblance of coordination. Yeah, the the Falcons have been done for a while now, and this is just just blow it up. Get, Bird is cooked. Yeah, birds fucked. Yeah. Just as I'd sort of mentioned with. Uh, the fact that this game was the commentary sort of well Monday night football I've, I had a couple points about commentary brain greasy I've noticed every every Monday night game I know that he's sort of new to the job and whatnot but he keeps miss miscalling people he keeps saying the wrong player he kept calling Matt Ryan uh, Aaron Rodgers last night and I was like no it, it's not Sh- Brian one of them is in red one yeah. of them is in green one of them is currently sat 4 and 0 and looking like an mvp and one of them can't drag this lifeless corpse of a bird to a fucking win like come on wow. That's bad. I didn't actually notice that. I must have glossed over it. But he he yeah. did it as well. Where it, when um, 
the the game that I've sort of also paid a lot of attention to Brian Greasy's miss stumbles regarding names was week one Steelers Giants, obviously. And he kept calling Juju Smith Schuster just Smith. He said he kept saying Juju Smith, and I was like, you, you've missed a bit. You've missed a bit, Brian. Do you want to maybe? What happened? Why is Joe Tessitore not in in the booth anymore in ESPN? What? Who decided to make that call? What it no, was. I- they, I, there was a big thing where they wanted Romo and then Romo said no. Yeah. And then they sort of scrambled for who they were getting and it went down this tree of players who said no. It was like Manning, no. Breeze, no. Yeah. And then in the end, they just had to settle for Brian Greasy. Yeah. But this is the thing because I, for age, for a long time, up until very, very like this week, assumed it was Bob Greasy. Yeah, but now it's, it's Brian. Do you remember Bob oh. Greasy? Yeah, I remember yeah. Bob Greasy. Yeah. I was going to say. Thinking Bob Greasy as well, to be fair. Now you've just said that out loud, it's suddenly occurred to me. Wow. <laughs> oh, we're as bad as Bob Greasy. <laughs> yes. yes. We'll be calling him the Brickashaw Ferguson next week or something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear um, me. I, right. I guess that's that's it. But it's been a long fucking recording. This will this will be a, a hell of a long episode unless we can sort of willfully cut it down by a while. But there's a lot of good, a lot of good things in there. Thank you content. very much for joining us, Ben. No, my, my pleasure. It's and been, if you, it's been great. And if you'd like to go join and see what Ben's sort of doing, uh, you can also see content from from myself and a bunch of other very talented writers over on gridironextra.com. And also you can go check out our website, which is stiffupperlippod.com. You can also check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Apple Podcasts, and basically everywhere else that you can think of. Uh, Podbean, etc. But um, thank you for joining us. And Ed, have you got any closing remark? Yeah, I do just want to make a shout out to Belgium because um, Belgium forms a huge part of our listenership, yeah. which I wasn't aware of. So thank you, Belgians. Enjoy yeah. your waffles. Good night. Apparently, also we've got yeah. followers in in Oman as well. Yeah, Oman, the Philippines, uh, Michigan, um, Qatar. So yeah, yeah, class. Wow. Anyway, very cool. Mm-hmm.